Welcome to Wing Talk from the INAP Fixed Wing Group. Now here is your host, Steve Schlesinger. Hey everybody, welcome to the INAP Fixed Wing Group's Wing Talk. This is going to be one of the best shows we've ever done. We have Painless 360. This is Painless 360 After Dark here today. And we are really excited to have him. Um, I'm going to introduce ourselves really quick so that in case I know that some we have some new people watching. Um, this is uh, just a something that we've come up with. I know Fixed Wing Group is a group on Facebook. And if you follow Lee's videos, you'll know that we have, um, he's been an INAP proponent for many years now. So if you want to know more about INAP, follow him. Our group on Facebook is very welcoming. And uh, we also have the inapfixwinggroup.com with all our resources. But anyways, this is an enthusiast community. It's also a support community. And um, we have with us today three other gentlemen who will also help uh, have a conversation with Lee. This is kind of an informal chit chat, I would say, with Lee. Um, so first up is Luke. Luke, how are you doing today? Yeah, good. Yeah, bit of a different background again, but all's good here. Have you been flying anything lately? It's been kind of cold out there in the UK, right? It's been cold, uh, and I have been flying for work, but other than that, I've done nothing in about six weeks or so. Uh, yeah, big projects at work, haven't had any time, so. Yeah. Yeah, you're uh, just a guy who we, we had two wing talks, one after the other, about a couple of years ago, because you had so much information just on things that we're wondering about, as little technical things as far as, you know, motors and stuff like that. So you're a guru when it comes to the technical aspects that I have, and uh, looking forward to hearing more from uh, your input in this chat today. Um, hey, uh, the next guy is, I think, probably one of the quietest but most productive people that I, I don't know how this guy sleeps. He's the most productive guy I've ever seen in my life. Um, I was saying I was uh, watching something interesting. It popped up. He does videos uh, on various topics. And uh, Darren, I just want to let you know that I have one of these little things right here. The uh, FR Sky <laughs> SADR. And he has this whole series video last night I was watching uh, just on how to set it up with Ethos, the new FR Sky um, firmware for the X20 radio. Uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, I got to go buy more of these things. They're amazing. This is essentially the AX3, AS3X, uh, like what they sell for Horizon Hobby. And so uh, great video. Also, you do a lot of work with iNav as far as you, a big help with iNav 4.0, right? Uh, yeah, I've done a few bits for iNav. But yeah, don't get the SAR anymore. Get the SR8 Pro because you can use access with it, um, which is just better. Um, but yeah, yeah, I did a few things for iNav 4.0. So looking forward, well, I'm, I'm flying it already, but <laughs> looking forward to flying it in like an official capacity. <laughs> awesome. The, we have someone here who's the pilot in charge or the guy who joined the group just to ask some questions and ended up being like our technical support for the group. Uh, pilot in charge, Mark Hoffman. Mark from Germany. How are you doing today, Mark? Yeah, Steve, I'm doing great. Uh, unfortunately, not much time to fly during the last weeks, but uh, yeah, at least we have our ring talk and we can have fun, some fun here. <laughs> awesome. Hey, you know what? When we first started talking, our very first conversation was... Um, I don't know if you remember this. I, you were like, who do you like to watch? And I, you said you like Josh Bardwell's videos. And I said, there's this guy out of the UK has these 10-minute videos that are amazing. Um, Painless 360. Those, you know, if I go on, I can learn something in 10 minutes. 
So, uh, you remember that conversation we had? Oh, I think that's a long time ago, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah but, but uh, back then I already uh, knew uh, Lee's channel. So, um, I, basically when I, when I the first time touched autopilot, uh, I also looked at his tutorial videos and it was really helpful. Well, fantastic. So that's a great introduction to Lee. Lee, this is a guy that um, when we were getting him on the show, thank you so much, first of all. We were supposed to be on last month. Um, but uh, we had scheduling conflicts. So um, when Darren spoke to you, Darren's usually a man of few words. I guess you guys had an hour and a half long conversation. So that's what I'm hoping for today. Painless 360, Lee, how are you doing tonight? Thank you, Steve. Very well. Apologies in advance if you're listening and I sound different. Uh, it's not that I've got another microphone. I've got a little bit of uh, a sore throat. So I will be uh, sucking on mentholated sweets. So if you hear some click weird clicking and stuff in my audio, that's what it is. Uh, but Steve, thank you very much. Yeah, it's um, it's the, the, the YouTube channel is something that's been going for a very long time. I, uh, I originally started it <clears throat> because I, I used to be, uh, well, kind of am but i don't really fly them anymore so i guess i'm not anymore radio control helicopters was where i came into the hobby and i got the big love and it was the align 450s um back in those days there was a guy called finless bob and if any of you i'm going back oh many 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 years now and he did in the forums this was kind of pre-youtube days so you know when dinosaurs ruled the earth he had a link to about seven or eight videos of how you set up your spectrum dx7 radio with your align 450 and how you set the head up and you did all the spacing of the main gear and how you did it all and, and it was amazing you would download these videos and i would be sat with the video playing on the screen in front of it kind of you know carefully following and pausing it and doing that little bit and setting that screw and uh, so he taught me so much and then i started as i got a little bit more used to doing this stuff i i started answering people in the forums Stephen aboard already but one of the things I realized is that um, the, the forums can be a bit of an interesting place. They, there is, there is a there, there's some fantastically clever, knowledgeable people who will give you the answer you need. And then there's a lot of other stuff. Let's, let's put it politely. So what I would do, someone would ask a question in the forum and I would then spend 20 minutes and I would write the answer and explain exactly how you did that bit, right? It could be something daft like how you set the play in a main gear of a 500 class heli. <clears throat> and I then I'd, I'd kind of do all that 20, 25 minutes and then I hit enter. And then somebody would have within two minutes would come up and go, that's complete crap. You don't do it that way. And then there'd be a whole discussion and I'd be like, guys i know this works so in the <laughs> end when youtube started i was there very early because i would make a video and actually you know with a little cheap camera and you know zoomed in and i would actually make the video and the next time i got that question because you guys you know you, you help other pilots out as well you know you get the same questions over and over again right yeah so 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 i would make the video and the next time somebody said oh how do you do it i'd say oh that's a really good question i made a video on that here's the link because then nobody could come in and go, well, that's crap. It doesn't work that way because it's like, no, I can actually, I actually do it. So that's how the YouTube thing was born. And here we are now, uh, one and a half thousand videos later. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> I really need to get out more, really, don't I? So, uh, you know, over, I don't know, however many years. Um, and, and I now has been a really interesting part of the journey. 
because iNav was something that initially it wasn't that I was interested in it. I was told that iNav was going to be an, uh, coming into another project and how all this open source worked. Because when I came into the hobby, you you bought all these proprietary systems. So you bought a Spectrum radio, right? And you bought um, an Align helicopter and you had the specific parts. And then gradually I kind of kind of delved into this world of open source, you know, that we that the modern hobby is all about now. It's all open source code and you have to be able to use Google search effectively. You have to be able to use the forums. You have to be able to solder. You know, if you can use a hot glue gun, that's helpful too. There's a million different little things that you have to do in the hobby now, whereas in the old days, with the exclusion of people like Horizon Hobbies, you used to you bought the box, you followed the instructions, you charged the battery, and you were away because it was pre-bound. These days, there's such a barrier of entry, so I never find that I don't have any a, a, a subject that I don't want to make a video on, because I've always got a list. You know, I have a to-do folder on my desktop by the side of this Skype chat, and there's literally three dozen things in there from questions that I've got. Where someone asks you a question, and you go, "Oh, I'm sure I've made a video on that," and even with the library that I have, you go. You know what? I haven't. Or if you find the video, it's from six years ago and it's all completely different now. You know, you talked about things like PPM, <laughs> which, 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 you know, sounds like some kind of urinary infection. But but actually nobody's used that anymore. You know, it, it, even these days, SBUS is considered the entry level. So uh, so there's always those that you have to update as well. So, uh, no, I, I, I definitely whenever I come in, I want to make a video. There's always something to talk about with this great hobby. So um, before I forget, I just want to mention, if you're watching in the stream, if you're on YouTube, you can type questions in, and we're actually monitoring the YouTube channel to give questions to Lee in real time. But uh, I, one of the questions I did want to get across to you and ask you about is, um, we've been watching it for years, but we don't really know who you are. And so I'd like to ask who you are. You could be as specific as you like to be, or you could be as vague, like I'm a everything mammal living in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, so can you give us a little bit about, tell us about yourself, if, if you're so willing to, who you are and your background. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I have talked about this a, a lot, because in the early days, um, it was great going to shows, because nobody knew what I looked like. They knew my hands. Everyone knew what these <laughs> things looked like, right? They're, they're some of the most famous hands in radio control because they're always making stuff. You wore gloves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, my voice. And those were the two big giveaways. So, yeah. um, and that was a very deliberate thing because when I first started making the videos, uh, I was actually um, uh, the director in a number of businesses negotiating very large commercial deals, having to have some very tricky conversations with customers and partners and all that. That was the world I lived in. Radio control was the thing I did to kind of let off steam and to, you know, it was a hobby. It's something I did for fun. But the, but I've always been one of those people who like to help people and got a kick out of, yeah, we've all done it, right? Somebody wants to get in the hobby and they, they with the time, the time they had their first flight where they end up with the model in more or less the same pieces as they started out. You know, you can just see it's that stupid big grid and it kind of it kind of makes you feel all warm so i've always been into that but i've never wanted to be in a situation the reason i never showed my face and really went into my background i never wanted to walk into a meeting room with somebody i hadn't met before who i was about to have a really tough chat with and for them to go hey you're 
that guy from YouTube. I watch you. You're that radio control guy. I was watching a video of yours. I've got a question about free sky receivers. I was doing, and it's kind of like that can never happen because it's then <laughs> going to be really difficult for me to have my professional chat. So I always joke when people, because loads of people make YouTube um, things now, and it's all about being a YouTube celebrity. And it's all about, you know, controversy and clickbait and all that. And I'm not interested in any of that at all. That's not my gig, right? The channel's there to help people access the technology. So, but but they, you know, people respond to people. So when I didn't appear in the videos and everyone else was, they were kind of, you know, I get these messages regularly. You know, why do you never show your face? I, I guess they assumed, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm no oil painting, but, you know, I'd been in some hideous car accident or something. <laughs> but... I, but I said, no, you know, it, it's, you know, the, the technology is the star, not me. And then I retired um, about, oh gosh, coming up to eight years ago now. <clears throat> and uh, at that point, I thought, well, OK, I'm in a situation now with the work that I'm doing and the bits that I do where people knowing what I look like isn't so much of a barrier. Um, and also I joked throughout that period, I'm only going to show my face when they get 100,000 subs. Now, you know, this is when I've got, you know, four and a half thousand subscribers thinking this is never going to happen. So I'm safe. And then on the 6th of October, 6th of August, I remember the date. I can't say it. 6th of August 2018, we passed the 100,000 subscriber mark. Wow. So I was like, crap, I've got it. OK, so I did a whole video to camera and explain where the name came from, why it's a pill logo and all those things. So my, my background originally is, um, I, I uh, kind of trained and certified as an electronics uh, engineer and then moved into IT. So uh, I'm afraid that the smell of solder immediately makes me think like, it makes me feel like I'm 18 again, just like the smell of two-stroke coil if you're a motorcyclist, right? We all, you know, there are smells that just evoke that. As soon as the solder hits the tin, then, you know, I'm 18 again. So um, I've always toyed with this stuff. Uh, and the, the, the other part of the job that I used to do, I used to do a lot of training. And a lot of it was around psychology and those kind of things and kind of business practice. So it was a real natural thing for me to use things like PowerPoint slides to explain stuff and use pictures and diagrams. Um, and I found that lots of people really resonated with that visual way of learning. Um, rather than reading it in the forums, and it just became a snowball. So now, you know, I'll probably come in uh, this place, which is all in the dark behind me. It's, it's not because I'm hiding anything. It's just it's easier to light this way. Um, but I, you know, I've got like a dedicated build table in here, and it just I just love coming in and playing with stuff and answering people's questions because it's amazing how, like I said a moment ago, it's amazing how many times you get asked a question, and it's a really good question, and I love it when I don't know the answer. I'm one of those really weird people if i don't know the answer to something i'm excited because it means i've got something to figure out and as you get become a a personality or a known person in the hobby you can put a call into the developers you know because um the, the conversation that i had with darren that 90 minute chat that we had which was lovely i mean we all, all was missing was a couple of pints of beer and a pork pie <laughs> um it was really good but we we, we we were talking about inav and we jointly came up with two or three ideas of things that could be added to iNav that would improve it just by having a chat. And that's the really fun part of this is that you meet so many lovely people in the hobby that are, that are kind of minded the same way. And every day you learn something, which is which for me is just an absolute joy. It's, you yeah. know, and 
the thing that I, where I really like your videos is that you do have the presentation. It's a professional presentation. It's 10 minutes. And you think like, oh, if you made a 10-minute video, you don't have to work as hard as, as when you just make a 30-minute video. No, I mean, there's been times I've had real simple concepts I want to describe on a video. And 20 minutes later, I'm still talking. And then I'm like, wait a minute. This is like three minutes worth of information. You got to stop and do it all over again. Let's get to the basics of it. So coming up with a, a concise 10 minutes is really difficult, and especially when you have it all. I mean, basically, the way you put your presentations together in the videos is exactly the way I would want to do it myself. Um, and when you start looking at I, I was thinking about this this morning. When this hobby evolved, it used to be the local hobby shop kind of hobby where you go to the local hobby shop, you would talk to the pro behind the counter, and he'd help you out. But now we're into realms where the guy behind the counter has no idea what the hell you're talking about. He doesn't have the background, the technical expertise whatsoever to help you out with because he's just a you know guy like yourself. He doesn't have electronics degree. He doesn't have years of experience. You need to get some real people who know what the hell they're talking about. And when you go on and start watching YouTube videos, there's some guys who are the personalities where it's, yeah, man, uh, my old lady kind of yelled at me this morning, and then, you know, it's kind of like, you know, or like, here, I got my dog, here's some video of me flying, you know, I want, I don't have 30 minutes to get into your vibe, I got 10 minutes to find out, I have a question, I need the answer to it, and so you do it beautifully. Well, th well thank you, Steve, that's lovely to hear, because it, it is really difficult to, you know, a guy sat in a, you know, in a study in his house making YouTube videos to try and help other pilots. You don't know how they're landing. But the, uh, shall I tell you the secret of how I test my videos? Right, that would be ready. The way I test my videos is I get my wife, who is a primary school teacher who has no electronics background, to watch them. And if she watches the ones that are aimed at beginners, not that not like the in-depth INAV, you know, nuts and bolts ones, but the ones that are aimed for beginners, if she can watch it and get to the end and go, yeah, I got about 60, 70% of that. I'm like, bingo, that's aimed at the right level. Um, so I actually test it on a non-audience member to make sure that I'm pitching it at the right level. Because the, the issue is, is with this hobby, as we were joking before, you know, you've got to have, a, you know, a black belt Google foo moves uh, in order to find the stuff online because you haven't got the guy in the local hobby shop you're absolutely right steve you know i um i'm lucky my hobby shop locally is still going and it's worth its weight in gold you know if you're ever in the middle of a build and you find you you need a screw that's that long of that size with that pitch you kind of take the short version that isn't quite long enough you jump in the car you go over there and he'll root through the bins and he'll find you the right screw or the servo or the spline or whatever it is um, trying to do that on eBay or the other forums or post a picture and say, you know, what screw pitch is this? <laughs> Good luck. Um, but, but you know, it, it, in terms of all the, the beginner stuff, I think too much of the hobby is entrenched in three, four letter acronyms. And we have our own language and we forget about this. When we were, to, I mean, when Darren and I were having our chat, we probably, anyone listening after the first 15 minutes would probably think we were talking in code because we just went full techie. You know, I put my 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 cap on with a propeller down and we got into that and we were having a lovely chat. But anyone listening over here and in the pub would probably think, wow, what a pair of geeks, but also wouldn't understand what we're talking about. And we, we don't make enough of an effort for the new pilots to really step it back. And I, that's what I try and do with the beginner videos in particular is just try and take some of the complexity out so, you know, trying to explain a PID loop in terms of plumbing 
actually works for most people. Um, in a proportional integral, you can kind of explain it. Derivative gets a bit more tricky. But but it, those kind of uh, examples give over the basics because once you've got the context and you've got the language, you can actually use things like the forums and Google search. But if you don't know the name of the thing that you're trying to find out, in the modern hobby, you are knackered because you don't know what to look for. You know, it, it's the thing that moves the doodad when I move the, on the radio. It's like, you know, even Google's not going to find, but you say, you know, the elevator, or how do I buy elevator and aileron? You know, because some of us will call it that. Some of us will call it the pitch and roll. Some of us will call it control feathers. You know, we it, it gets really complicated. But no, thank you for the feedback. It's great. You know, if, if I ever open invitation if i'm ever doing a video that's called for beginners or introduction to and i slip into three and four letter acronym mode <laughs> call me out on it because that is not the point of the video even uh, more uh, yeah that's even more complicated uh, i just realized when you do uh, videos about the hobby that are not in english but in your native language uh, just recently i had someone in my uh, youtube comments i mean uh, beside the fact that this guy was pretty rude in his uh, writing and in his comment uh, but he was actually making a good point uh, that he complained that i used a lot of english uh, words uh, in my description while doing a german video like i said flight controller i said yeah i said pitch uh, in a german video and he complained about that but on the other hand i mean of course i could translate all the words in german words to make a proper pure german video but uh, then people watch these videos and think okay i don't get that point or i want to have background information about that and then i search for flugsteuerung instead of flight controller but <laughs> what, what what do you find you have to find you have to search for the english terms because 98 of all manuals all guides all videos are all in english and if you if you have barely uh, content in in your native language doesn't matter if it's german if it's polish like pavel's video videos i mean Pav, there's a video why pavel uh, or there's a reason why pavel makes uh, all his videos in english and gets complaints from his polish uh, 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 people yeah that, sometimes you have to go down this route and to use special words uh, that are focused on this topic just so people have a re reference where they can look for i i remember i did a very early series talking about some of the basics and i called it something like basics of remote control and Uh, there was probably about 50 people on the planet lost their mind, right? That I wasn't using the correct term for radio control. Like it's not, it's RC, it's radio control, not remote control. But I was like, no, no, you've missed the point. These are to catch all the guys who are and girls who are searching, not knowing what it's called and think it's called remote control. And they'll find the video, right? Even if it's the wrong term, I don't want, I don't want to be elitist about this and pull the ladder up after me. I'm intentionally using the wrong language because that's how Google works. And I think, you know, going back to your point, Mark, it's a really good one. There are, I, I've always joked that, because um, I spend a lot of time answering questions. It's one of the, you know, I will do an hour, an hour and a half every day just answering questions on YouTube, on uh, the ones that I get on email, on places like the Patreon feeds, um, and trying to answer as many as I can. And I joke that there is no such thing as a dumb question, but there absolutely is lazy and rude ones. Yeah. And funnily enough, 
the lazy and rude ones get much more succinct answers <laughs> than the people who are polite and ask a well thought out question. Now, what is a well thought out question? Well, telling me the equipment that you have, what versions you've got, what things you've already troubleshooted, which actually tells me that you've actually made a bit of effort yourself and you've also had a bit of a look around. Um, you know, it, it, I'm more willing to get involved and spend more time on that, not because, you know, I'm, I'm elitist and I don't want to answer anyone's questions. It's because because of all that information, I actually know which part of the hobby we're looking in and I can kind of focus down on what the three or four potential issues are going to be. It's frustrating that you, when you get a, a one line question, I have such and such and it won't arm. What's the answer? Question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Usually in uppercase, usually misspelt. Um, fine, if you're struggling, that's brilliant. You know, I, I want to help. But the thing is, then you go back and go, well, you know, uh, have you armed it? And you get then, uh, you know, because that's a load of people at the moment. I've, I've, there's a, you tend to get these waves of issues on YouTube. At the moment, loads of guys and girls out in India at the moment seem to be coming into the hobby. All the people who had loads of stocks of CC3D, NASI32, APM 8-bit boards, they're all selling them like hotcakes to these poor guys and girls out in India. So my, so at the moment, I get loads of questions from that community who are using technology that we all walked away from five years ago. But they'll, and again, it's amazing because you think about it, they're watching a technical video made by an English guy in the English language, going back to Mark's point. And not only are they following along, but they're following along enough to actually frame a question in, because they don't ask in whatever language is native to them. They'll actually ask it in English, even if it's broken English. And I'm just, I'm just mind blown about the effort that people will go to for that stuff. But you kind of go and say, have you armed it? And then some of them will come back. Not the, in, interestingly, not, people from places like India um, it's a first world problem seems to be a little bit is they'll come back and they'll go yes of course I've done that and it's like whoa okay well you didn't tell me you had done that and also if you had it would it will enable me to get down to three or four things and after you know two or three goes around you get to the point where you kind of go you know what I'm just not entertaining this anymore if you're not willing to be polite um, and actually engage with me and give the information I need to give you a hand it makes it really tricky for me. And in the time I've spent with that individual, I could have probably answered another three or four questions and got people on the right track. So my, my, my ask is anyone uh, watching this, I think for any, if you're going to any subject matter, well, I'm not, I'm not an expert and I wouldn't even deem to say that. If you're going to somebody who you think knows more than you do to give you a hand, the more information you can give them and the more polite you are when you ask the question, the more chance you'll get of an answer that will actually help you and not end up just frustrating everybody. Uh, because for me, th those I, I love it when you get the, the, the message two or three days later, it's worked, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, smiley face. It's like, brilliant, that's why I do this. Uh, it's just soul destroying for those days. My patrons know all about this because I usually go to them and I'm just like, humanity is doomed <laughs> because, because you know in some days you go on and it's literally every comment you go to on youtube is like that and you and you have again it just seems to be the the law of averages um but but it's it's just fun kind of uh, helping people out and and just sometimes you know someone will ask you a question and and usually if they've given you enough information with all the videos i've got i can usually just post the url because <clears throat> you're guaranteed if they miss something like setting up an arming switch in an INAV, 
they will absolutely have missed about seven or eight other crucial things in their setup. <laughs> if they get it armed, it's probably going to rip their arm off or smash into the ground within two seconds of being thrown into the air. So you kind of go, that's a really good question. Check this video out. And sometimes if I do, if I've ever done that to you, if you're watching this and I've ever pointed you to a video where you're like, I'm sure we'll get to answer my question in a minute. I've probably done that because I don't want you being hurt by doing something dumb because we've all got scars. You know, you can't see in this lighting, but I've got scars on this hand. Uh, it turns out that that distance from there to there is exactly the diameter of the rotor blade of a 450 helicopter. Don't <laughs> ask me how I know. Um, you know, it, it, if you if I can help you avoid, you know, a trip to A&E uh, and some stitches, then that's all good. Darren, you had a question? Um, yeah, it's, it's sort of gone, but yeah, I just wanted to sort of add with, with Lee's example about, you know, having a nicely formatted question. It's it's not just also about um, us maybe not being rude if we don't answer or anything like that. It's just, uh, you know, for a lot of us, it's like we have full-time jobs as well. We have other commitments. So having all the information present just makes it that much easier to try and answer the questions. So yeah, there's that sort of side that comes in as well. But. My question is 10 minutes back, so I'm going to let Mark ask his go first, and then I'll get back to something you said 10 minutes ago. Yeah, uh, I have to. I have really have to agree on uh, one specific point, or also add something to to this topic. Um, when you when you make a video or so, and you you write down what you want to say, sometimes uh, I tr I try to make some scripts like this this uh, and these are the points I want to cover in this video. But then why I'm doing it, then I realize okay for this I should go a little bit deeper into the explanation. Maybe uh, I don't have a video about that yet. Um, then from this you go to the next topic to the next topic, and then sometimes as uh, Steve said before. Uh, plan two, three, four minutes quick explanation video uh, gives you 30 minutes of, of video footage <laughs> you, and then you and then, and then you have to uh, cut it down or shorten somehow or even completely record from scratch uh, be because it just gets too long. So, so sometimes it's really hard to balance between what do you want to put into one video or do you want to split something up and make separate videos about it? But then uh, there's the next issue if you if you make a video about one topic, like um, just a simple example, an enough tuning video. And then you said, okay, I will make a new video how a pit controller works later. And then you put yourself under pressure because then you have to put this video out as soon as possible because people will start to ask for it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. what... One of the things I wanted to ask you about was something you brought up. I, Lee's like stuffing uh, some um, um, cough drops in right now, so I'll give him a chance to get some water and some cough drops in. Yeah, he's giving us some thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing you brought up, it was a really kind of interesting point. I'm glad you brought it up, was um, when you talk to people about this hobby and you explain to them that you fly radio-controlled planes, the perception they have of you is like, you're, oh, you're flying toys, you know. It's either you're the guy who's at the field you know, from the 1970s with the big craft uh, rate RC in your hand, flying the big, you know, um, uh, gas plane that's made out of balsa wood, or you're flying little foam toys at the park. But they don't really understand what this is all about. And even I have a friend who uh, went through ground school and actually became um, a GA pilot. And, you know, I'm trying to explain to him, what the hobby's about right now. And 
he doesn't get it. And like, and he, this is a, like a software engineer. So I'm like, this is essentially everything that you do right now, all, the, all your training and all the stuff that you've done is kind of the good starting point for uh, getting into what we're getting into right now. Cause we talk about your arts. We talk about, it's all electronics. Um, and, um, basically that's, you know, what we're about is there's, there's a lot of technicality to this. Um, but getting that across to people, like these aren't toys. Have you, uh, have you had any problems with this? I mean, cause I know that was something that was on your mind when you were like five, six years ago. Is it still that case now? I think he's back. He's smiling. You're on, you're on mute still. <laughs> Lee, you're on mute. Lee, you're on mute. There you are. <laughs> Sorry, there we go. Sorry, just clearing my throat, everybody, so that uh, I can do the next, next ramble on that I tend to do. Um, so, well, I would actually, and this might be controversial, um, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, so after saying I don't want to be controversial, YouTuber. Um, I think they are toys. <clears throat> I do it because they are fun, right? Um, I I have had parts of the hobby that felt like they were hard work. And what I mean by that is my my friend at the moment who uh, um, I, I didn't realize into radio control. It just happened. He just mentioned that he flew radio control planes, and I was like, really? How have we never talked about this? And then when I went down to his house, he had about six Horizon Hobby models, all with a separate radio, okay. all, all held together with gaffer tape and all <laughs> kinds of stuff. <clears throat> so I immediately went, right, okay, well, I'll tell you what, we'll, 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 um, let, we're going to buy you a, a new radio. So we got him a, a computer radio, and I, I put new receivers in a set of models up. So he had, because at the time he was, you know, he was, he was, constantly buying double A batteries because all these radios run, run on four double A's, right? So he, he literally had a pack of double A's in his garage and he, he'd swap them out every day. So, um, you know, but for him and for me, when we go flying, it very much is, um, you know, it's a toy. It's it's marginally cheaper than grade A drugs and prostitutes, this hobby, but only <laughs> slightly, right? And I I haven't got the money to spend on thing, all the balsa wood side of the hobby and, and icy and glow, right? That's not kind of my thing. But for me, it's about um, taking a wing or a quad or, you know, whatever, line of sight, FPV, and just going and having having fun. So I, <clears throat> I think it's probably a mental thing with me. I like to almost designate them as they are kind of toys it, because there's something that I play with even though, you know, 50-year-old guy, um, it does make me feel like I'm, like, 12 years old, you know, zooming over the tops of trees at 100 miles an hour with DJI HD goggles on, and then, you know, pulling up and rolling around as my mate tries to follow me as we film everything. Um, it just, it's it's just epic fun. Um, so, so for me, you know, I'd, the only thing in the hobby that I have an issue with is the word drone. Yeah. All right? There, yeah. Uh, and that's because the drone has such a negative connotation because my friend um, had, has one of my local flying buddies here. Um, I helped him get some new FPV goggles. And so I've, he's, uh, we've been mates now for over a year. And in that time, his hobby's gone, uh, you know, because every time I go around, I'm like, oh, do this, do this. So he always ends up with a bit more. And he's kind of, he's, always, he's a full-size pilot. But he actually flew last time we went. I got a, one of those Hobby King Cubs um, not my kind of model, but I got one in for review. It's a, it's a very stable flying plane, but it has a pan and tilt inside for an FPV setup, head tracker. 
And we flew it last time and he's a full size pilot and he absolutely loves it. But one of the flying days we were flying, this old lady stopped at the field on the gate, you know, leaning over the gate, not quite with the, you know, the piece of um, piece of grass out the corner of her mouth, but close and was kind of watching us. And she shouted me over. Now, at this point, I'm being a spotter. Right. So I'm trying to walk back to her, keeping eyes on the plane because he's flying my H one of my HD wings at this point. And I'm thinking if he crashes this, it's 150 quid's worth of air unit. I'm never going to see again. So I backed up to the thing. She says, are you flying a drone? And I said, no, <laughs> it's a it's a flying wing. And it was really weird. Her reaction once I said it's not a drone went from one of a little bit confrontational about what are you doing in this field to kind of going, oh, right, how does that work? And I was like, oh, well, he's actually flying. And the things he's wearing, he can actually see out of a camera while he's flying. And she wanted to know all about it. She was fascinated. But because drone is such a loaded term in the hobby, um, you know, she was very, very confrontational until I said it isn't. And I think there are, we do have drones in the hobby. You know, we have flying cameras and things like DJI make them. But in terms of the stuff that we're flying as INAV pilots, you know, I don't think they're drones. I think they are fantastic toys that are incredibly complex. You know, when I take the top off one of my INAV builds, because one of them has the FPV combat system in there as well. So there's probably about eight, nine circuit boards, including the receiver, the VTX, the 433 megahertz, the flight controller, the ESC. You know, it looks... I always feel a little bit like Tony Stark, you know, when I'm sat soldering stuff and I've got the INAV stuff running with all the code scrolling past as I'm doing a dump. I do feel like I should have an arc reactor on my chest. It's like, it's awesome. But, you know, you show when you show people that stuff and you show them what that what things like FPV are like. I think it overcomes a perception that lots of people have about the hobby. And a lot of that perception, if they're not in the hobby, has come from mainstream media, which I don't think has been very kind to the hobby over the last five or six years. Especially in the UK, you're right. Yeah, we, we get blamed for Tesco bags flying about in the atmosphere. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, guys... Uh, I, w I would like to jump in here at this point uh, with a few questions that came up in the chat for a while already. Um, Ritzy asks uh, a question for Lee. What do you think about the RC plane simulator called Wings? Uh, I've tried it. Um, I've done a video on it, probably. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, I... I... <clears throat> I find simulators, for me personally, one step too far away, all, every single one of them. I started, I don't know if some of you remember, Phoenix RC. Mm. Yes. I, had I, I, was, I was gutted the day that Phoenix died uh, and didn't rise again from the ashes. Unfortunately, it was the real <laughs> deal, wasn't it? Um, but they had the little dongle, and I, I spent hours and hours and hours. Because um, a simulator for a new pilot is something that I always recommend, even though lots of new pilots these days don't want to invest in a simulator because uh, it, it's, it's not as fun as flying in a field and trying to kill yourself. But, but actually, the crashes in sims are, are cheap. Wings, Wings isn't bad. It's, it's all right. Um, I think there are some very good free simulators that are kicking about now. I think a lot of the proprietary ones... You know, because I would recommend Phoenix because it wasn't ridiculous money. Was the other one Real Flight? Is that the one Real I'm thinking? Flight, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Rise and Harvey. Um, I, I wanted to buy Real Flight, but I was too cheap when I bought <laughs> Phoenix RC. Is right. It's the reason I got it. Um, 
but but the 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 problem is is that <clears throat> I don't think any simulator has yet really captured all the little nuances of what it's like to fly an actual plane. I've never ever gone from flying a plane in a simulator to flying the real thing and felt, oh, this is brilliant. But what it has done is it's helped me with some of my muscle memory, particularly in those those times when your brain has what I, you know I call a brain fart. Because <clears throat> in those times when uh, the, the world goes into slow motion and you realise that you've just stalled your wing because you were trying to turn when you were doing 12 miles an hour in your plane and the whole thing has just gone, you know what, I'm out, and just start spiralling down the ground. You have a split second to sort it out and doing things and playing with them in the simulator is a great way to get the muscle memory. But in, in my experience, the way that things stall in these simulators don't really give you a realistic idea of what that's going to feel like. And also a stall in something like a cub model versus a stall in a really fast wing versus a stall in a glider. It's all really different. And, and you know, back in the day when uh, or oh, what was um, flight test back when they used to make videos um, that were instructional rather than entertainment. They used to talk all the time about what the stall characteristic was like. And I used to think that was great because you, as a beginner, you want a plane that when it stalls, it just goes and drops the nose. It doesn't just bail one wing bails. And it's, you know, what I hear called all the time, you know, a, a spiral of a death spiral. That's what people that's call right. it, isn't it? Uh, no, it's a stall, mate. It's a stall. That's what it is. There's a way to get out of it. The problem is, is if you stall with only about 10 feet above the ground, it's all over before you've got a chance to fix it. But but for me, I think none of the simulators that I've ever tried have truly given me that feeling to give me that uh, that um, that reaction time in the field with a real model. So I, I don't use them as much as I probably should. Yeah. Terrence? Has anyone got any exam any ideas of a good of a good simulator? Um, well, I I uh, have dabbled with uh, Aeroflow, which is pretty good. Again, I, I'm not too sure of the stall simulator, uh, the stall, but yeah, I used to use Phoenix as well. I find Wings is a bit, a bit more of a game than a simulator. That's where I put it. But you sort of touched on it earlier, but the thing I absolutely love about simulators is crashes don't cost you anything. Yeah. And, you know, I'll potentially go on there, just I'll, I want to try and learn this, but I can guarantee like 10 seconds later, I've got the big Edge 540 up and I'm just trying to do stupid, stupid things. But it sort of does work. You just, you do eventually, you know, I'm almost being able to hover now, uh, well, in the sim at least. Um, in, in reality, it's a bit different, but you do build up on those memories. So I, I, I do like the simulators for that sort of thing. Well, I learned to fly on real flight. So that, I mean, I, the one thing I'll say about that before the Horizon Hobby bought the company is that it was actually really a decent product. Uh, they had, for example, the uh, Multiplex Easy Star in there. And that, you know, I swear to God, it flies exactly like the real Easy Star. It's exactly, and a lot of the planes, they've got the feel down and everything. Unfortunately, now what Horizon Hobby has done is they're, they're all planes that have Spectrum radios on them. So these are all local hobby shops planes. And I guess you can still download some of these older planes and work with them. But uh, I, I tell you, that is it's pretty remarkable how realistic it is. You get the feel of it, even though I'd say the real downside is you can't see the ground. So you don't really know where the landing field is. And so you, you, it's really hard to learn how to land with those planes. But other than that, it's all pretty good. Mark, you have more questions? 
Yeah, it's, I think uh, ju just uh, one thing for the simulator stuff. Uh, the problem that I have with all simulators, and it doesn't even matter if it's a wing or um, a multi-rotor simulator, is uh, nothing of that actually represents uh, reality, and nothing of that can um, can teach you uh, really critical situations. Like if you if you fly a plane simulator, uh, even a FP doesn't matter if it's FPV or line of sight simulation. Um, if you like pull up out of a store or out of a deep uh, steep dive, and your plane is fast, for example, on a rear plane, the control surfaces will flex. And eventually you cannot pull out anymore or you have less authority. The simulator does not simulate things like that. It also doesn't simulate uh, a nose-heavy plane or a tail-heavy plane. Every simulator I have seen so far, the planes are just perfect. And this yeah. never prepares you uh, to fly your first own setup plane that will never be perfect. That, that's just impossible even if someone else does it that does it for you and then you go flying by yourself you put the battery just slightly different the cg is shifted the balance is not right you uh, have a different prop on it it will behave differently and the simulator cannot prepare you for that so that's just something you have to learn in reality the only thing uh, the simulator is really any simulator will work for is to get the muscle memory as lee said and learn uh, that if you fly towards you, right, left is still from the view of the plane, not from your view. And that's the most important thing. Just recently when I uh, uploaded the video where I flew the ZOHD drift line of sight, it just has roll and pitch, it has no rudder. And I tried to s do some uh, inverted flight and then quickly rethinking to push to uh, go up <laughs> instead of pull. Uh, that's that threw me off and I crashed it into the ground be because I was just five or six meters high. Um, but uh, when I fly towards me, I have no issues with that anymore. That, that that's totally fine. I, that's basically the next step, and I have to learn that in reality that won't work in a simulator at all. So um, um, depth perception is the other thing; it won't ever teach you. <laughs> yeah, that's the next thing because you don't have three D view uh, unless you use maybe VR goggles. Uh, Simulator and v I've, VR would be nice. That would be great. I think real flight does that, but I've I've not bought real flight to try. I've got the Oculus, so maybe I maybe I should invest and have a go. Maybe it's it's worth a try. Yeah. So um, I have more questions from the chat. Um, Boo Lagerstrom uh, is asking, how will our hobby interact with commercial airlines in future? I think I think he refers to the uh, regulations here at this point. Yeah, anyone wants to say something about that? What do you think? Definitely. The only thing I will say about that is that <laughs> the, um, yeah, you know, um, is that I have radar. That's something that uh, both you guys have been speaking about recently, even though it's been out for a couple of years. Um, it's the first time that I've seen something where you have something that's completely different, a different microcontroller that's attached to the microcontroller, which is your flight controller. Um, so that's, uh, with that, there's a lot of possibilities. And I was thinking when I was looking at INAV radar, it's kind of like the starting point of what they're trying to do with remote ID, which is they want you to be able to say that you have uh, your altitude and airspeed and all this other stuff. You know, you can broadcast out who you are, where you're located and all this stuff. 
Um, then you also get the reality of the situation that once you get after a certain distance, you can't really see the plane anymore. It, it only puts out a signal for about, what is it, like uh, maybe half mile in the air so using INAV radar. And it's going to be even probably worse because uh, whether they're going to be a little module that you plug into your receiver and just puts out a little signal you put on the side of your plane on the inside and I, you know, it's going to work only if you're very close to it. Um, but you're asking about it, how it would interact with the airlines, commercial airlines and, and stuff like that. And, and then that becomes a question of, um, you know, if you're flying a commercial jet, do you really want to know if there's a radio controlled plane that's at you know, 400 feet when you're up at 30,000 feet? But also, until they get all manned aircraft to have remote ID, I don't see why radio control should have. <laughs> it's well, a whole bag do. of worms. <laughs> yeah, we, we do have this thing, I mean, on, uh, called ADSB. Uh, so we have the ability, uh, there is already a standard for commercial uh, that already exists in the hobby. Uh, things like the Pixhawk carrier boards, some of the latest ones have ADSB on. And ADSB is a wonderful system. It actually um, in the current version of Pixhawk, it only hears the ADSB transmissions from aircraft. So it's really cool when you when you have your Pixhawk plugged into your ground station on your desk. Uh, I I live um, near to uh, Manchester Airport, which is a pretty big airport here in the UK. So uh, all of the, of the little planes that you can see as dots in the distance appear on the map within because uh, the because the little Pixhawk can hear the ADSB transmissions and you get information about heading altitude things like that now uh, ADSB could also be transmitted from our craft but again as Steve was saying you know if if you're you're flying a typhoon down the middle of um, you know a, a valley in North Wales and somebody is hovering in their back garden to film their six-year-old's birthday party with their DJI Phantom. Do you really <laughs> want to know about the 20 guys <laughs> on that Sunday afternoon that are doing that? Probably not. But but for me, I, I think the <clears throat> I there is a there is a ceiling that is there for a reason in the hobby, the 400 feet. The lowest ceiling for uh, even microlight commercial flight should be 500 feet. There should, in theory. Because uh, I do micro lighting as well. So in theory, there should be 100 feet of grace. The problem is, is that I know for a fact that I have seen uh, jets that are flying uh, from RAF bases here in the UK. I'm guessing in the USA you have the same kind of thing that are practicing low level terrain following and they fly below 400 feet. You know, it's one of those where, and, and those things are fast. By the time you realize that, you know, you can hear a jet coming and you probably need to drop the quad. It's already been sucked through the engine, spat out the back, you know, and there's a, and there's a pilot stood in front of you asking, uh, can you use your phone? You know, it, it, <laughs> it, it's not, it's not ideal. So I, I, it's a really big question for me. I would love it if the hobby was kind of left alone. I don't think it will be, but I would love it if the hobby was left alone for us just to do what we do, be responsible pilots, you know, be, occasionally be a bit silly, but nothing like flying near Gatwick Airport, because let's let's be honest, that was a completely made up fabrication thing. I still haven't seen a picture. It's amazing how when any other drone incur, in, you know, incurs any other airspace, there's loads of pictures. There were about a million people at Gatwick that night and we didn't get one photo. Everyone has a phone. Come on. The ones that were being reported were all the ones I think that were being put up by the police to try and find this person that were flying and they were all, you know, then claimed to be. So it's just, but again, see my previous answer about hysteria, drone, 
you know, the, you mentioned the ADS, ADSB. Was that is that a requirement in the UK right now uh, to have ADSB? Uh, Not currently. Yeah, it's a requirement right. in the United States. Uh, it started in 2020 that all planes, even GA planes, have to have ADSB. So we're already on it. I, I think oh, we'll I think we'll end up with it. Sorry. <clears throat> I was going to say, I don't know if it's... I thought you were talking about models, Steve. No, no, I'm talking about the GA planes, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, speaking of these uh, systems where the uh, aircrafts can communicate uh, between each other to have collision avoidance, like, yeah, we have ADSB and we have FLAM, for example, uh, as an alternative system. Um, that's, that's all nice to have, actually. It would be nice to have that also on our crafts. Like, I, I mean, I mean the, just the receivers, we, we don't even have to transmit. It would be enough to have a receiver to see if we fly FPV, to have an alarm hey, aircraft is incoming uh, it's on a specific direction coming uh, in, in in the room you fly so go down or go back home or land uh, immediately or whatever um, I think the bigger problem here is actually uh, it's not um, it's not mandatory for uh, civil aircraft like um, we have so many uh, we have a few uh, hobby or, or civil air, uh, airstrips around here um, they have trainer planes, uh, they are flying very low, sometimes even below the 400 feet. Uh, they should not uh, go uh, go below, actually. They're, usually they are forced to fly above 400 feet. And um, ju just recently, a while ago, we had a par paraglider flying directly over the city. Maybe 200 meters high or so, or or even less and i think why why do we do we have a paraglider uh, with no collision warning system for example flying over a city uh, for a paraglider at this altitude a city area is uh, is re restricted airspace he's not allowed to fly there even oh, yeah. even uh, even uh, civil airplanes like a Cessna also if they fly over urban areas they have to stay above i think 1000 feet it's mandatory, but they fly lower. They they are not allowed to, and they don't have often don't have flam. They don't have ADSB. I I pulled out my um, my air map for example. I have not seen that plane on the map, so they have no transmission system at all. And I know here are people uh, in the area actually collecting ADSB and uh, flam data and feeding, um, feeding the air map uh, application or the 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 flight radar app, not air map. I'll give you a little bit of history here. We had last year, it was last year, beginning of last year, we had the NPRM with the FAA. And basically, it was so depressing. Like, I was sitting there for like the first couple months of 2020 thinking, like, uh, all my planes are going to be worthless. I mean, this hobby's growing. I'm enjoying this, but I won't be able to fly any of this. And so I was like talking to Mark and Darren. They're like, hey, you know, this is an American thing. Don't really spend your time talking about this on the show. Which is good news because now we have the FAA, which is the kind of gentler FAA. We're like, hey, we love FPV. We want to be your buddies. We want you to share the sky. And so, um, you know, they have, we have some fantastic channels. We have was a Freedom, FP, FPV Freedom Coalition is a really great YouTube channel, which gets into all this stuff. So you kind of know what's going on with the FAA in the United States. But that's just, I'm hoping, like Lee said, I'm hoping that the hobby just turns into something that is, you know, leave us alone. We're, if we're not causing any trouble, just 
let us be. That's kind of, I think, what was the underlying theme. Um, we're coming up on the one-hour mark right now, so we are going to take a three-minute break. It's 90 seconds. We're going to get more coffee, use the bathroom, whatever else, and we'll be right back with Lee. Okay, we're back live with Lee from Painless 360. Hey, Lee, I got one question for you. It's going to be one word, uh, two words, actually, and you go off on it. Agar Pro. <laughs> Sorry, can you just repeat that, Steve? Because I was taking the, the thing out of my mouth. Something all pro. That sounded rude. AR Pro. Oh, AR Wing Pro. Yes. Oh, okay. What do you want to know? <laughs> There's a story behind it. You have a, your your uh, pills all over that plane. So, I yeah, it was it was an interesting one because um, the guy, uh, the marketing guy. Because ZOHD and Sonic Model, let me start at the beginning. That helps with an answer, doesn't it? The Sonic Model and uh, ZOHD are actually essentially the same company. They're sister companies. There was one guy in charge of marketing, a really, really fab guy called Ari, who sadly doesn't work there anymore. Ari was a fan of my channel. So he reached out <clears throat> when he kind of got involved with the job and we were chatting. And he was a lovely guy. Again, you meet so many fantastic people in this hobby. And he was just like you guys. You know, you just sit and chat and just, you know, you kind of pass the time and have a love. And you're always learning something. So uh, I really liked, I quite like the TBS camping in a two. Um, I think it's getting a little bit long in the tooth in terms of a design because I don't think it's designed for modern electronics and i really so, so i i have a kite right but i never fly it because the amount of technology in there with my gopro and everything at the front i don't enjoy it as much and that's because i'm cheap when i throw it up in the air there's a little voice at the back of my head going that's about 800 pounds in the air you know that's about 800 pounds <laughs> if you crash this that's 350 for your gopro then you've got your camera then you've got and and I would rather fly a model that's maybe 120 quid soaking wet because actually I will have far more fun with that. Mm -hmm. I won't, you know, I won't be kind of like, I don't try anything. I'm going to fly it, you know, like I'm, like I'm on a, a driving test. <clears throat> so I went to, when Sonic was talking to me, I, I kind of said, look, what I want is can we have a new version or can we tweak the mold for the AR wing? Because it's a bit old fashioned and the DJI stuff was coming out. And they said, okay, what do you want? And I said, well, I think we could get away with it if you just cut some bays into the wings, because I know how expensive it is to create molds, because I used to do a lot of stuff with Hobby King back in the day. Um, so I was like, you know, we could probably, we need space and more cooling for modern electronics. So like, okay, so what, what, what kind of things would you want if you were given a blank piece of paper? I should have smelled what was going on at this point, right? So, so I gave them a list of about eight things. I said, my perfect wing, bearing in mind, you know, we're all wing guys. You get wings in and there are things that you like about them. There are things that you think are really crappy. There are things that you, uh, that you change or tweak or after several flights start to get, um, you know, flimsy or break or so all of us as pilots have this list of if someone gave you a blank piece of paper, you'd want these things. Right. So my piece of paper were things like I wanted room for modern uh, FPV equipment. I wanted a lot more cooling. I wanted a lot more room inside. I wanted the wings to be removable. And that's because I have a little sports car. So uh, wings don't fit in my boot. I have to be able to take the wings off. Uh, and, and I wanted for long range guys there to be pods in the wings so that you could have your VTX on one end. You could have your crossfire or ELRS and whatever, but it wasn't ELRS back then. But you know what I mean? So I had this list and I sent it to the, to Ari and he kind of went back and he went, 
I, I didn't actually do this because we were talking on Skype. It wasn't video, but I imagine he stroked his chin and went, <laughs> that's really interesting because that's very close to our list. <laughs> and then that started the conversation and it took two years. Um, so I was under NDL this time. Um, and uh, while this was happening, there were, uh, he constantly sent me, me these 3D renders of the designs. And I'd be like, well, I like that. Can we do that? Blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I discovered lithium ion batteries, right, for long, for endurance flying. And I, what I wanted, I wanted, actually what I wanted for me was I want a Kaipaina wing for AR wing money. Is actually yeah. what I wanted, right? I want that quality, but I don't want to spend 300 quid. You know, I don't want I don't want to be in right wing territory. I'm too cheap. <clears throat> so we went through the process and it went through it and through it and through it and through it and through it. And uh, they were going to send me some of the pre uh, molds, some of the so th what they do is when they when they make the new wing, as you guys know. Uh, but for the people listening, the way it works is that they tend to do a number of uh, mold tests. And they tend to be a bit rougher, uh, but they are flyable models. They're going to ship me some of them. But things like Chinese New Year happened. Um, COVID started in the March of that year, which delayed the release. Uh, and it just became a nightmare. So in the end, uh, I, I hadn't seen the final model. I'd seen pictures they'd taken of it. I'd seen 3D renders and all these things. And Ari had taken me through the specs and we kind of confirmed how it would all work. And uh, I wanted to make sure that there was enough room. Uh, and they did everything I wanted. They only missed one thing. And the one thing they missed is that I wanted the connector that was at the root of the wing. Because when you put in the AR Wing Pro, when you attach the wing, it actually makes all the electrical connections, right? Eight pin. Um, <clears throat> exactly. I asked for eight pin. <laughs> And they put six pin on it. And I said, for God, why? And it was like, well, it's a, it's a cost thing. I was like, are you seriously telling me for two extra pins? And I just had a Patreon today, actually, just go. I've got my AR Wing Pro. Um, I've got a, I think it might be an ERS system out in the wing. How do I wire it up? Because I haven't got enough pins. And I was like, yeah, mate, sorry. Uh, but then trying to retrofit that is really tricky. So, um, so yeah, so that was the only thing. And, and I was like, don't do six pins, don't do six pins. And then they finally shipped me one. I opened the box and I was like, oh, this is actually quite good. And then had a look and it was like, crap. Yeah, that's exactly. Darren, well, you got to say something if you want to, if you want people to see what you're talking about. Yeah, Derek. I've got to unmute the mic as well. But yeah, I just got a bag of these things, multiplex, eight pins, yeah. about 10 quid from AliExpress. If that. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's that, what that's I asked biggest. for. That's. that's... Uh, and, and they didn't do it. But but the thing is that a lot of people, I get a lot of, um, oh, somebody's pulling out another plane. What's this? What's that, Mark? Mark, you got to say something. You're what, muted, I Mark? think, buddy. You're still muted, Mark. Yeah, that, that's my UAV clouds. And here you see I also put ring connector with eight pins in there. I mean, I only have the servos connected through these connectors at the moment, uh, but maybe for the future, just to have back up. Well, you never know, right? This is the this is the thing that the whole idea of having the bays out in the wings will, will allow you to have a receiver and a VTX. Now, a receiver is going to need four pins because you're going to need a ground, a power. If you're using old FR Sky stuff, you've got S bus and then the smart port telemetry. So there's four. If you're that's using, 
That, that, that's the funny thing. Uh, I'm actually pretty happy with the six pin because I use uh, FR Sky R9 with F port, so I only yes. need three wires. <laughs> and if you, if you. On the other side, you need the VTX with power ground, <clears throat> smart audio, and video. Yeah, yep. and then you yeah, then you have to start fiddle around and yeah. share the ground with the servo to get it working. Yeah, but it would be easier. Stuff. It would be easier. It would be so much easier. Yeah. So so to finish the story off. So so anyway. So just before it was being finished, Ari says, "Okay, um, I want to put your logo on the box because you've been so involved in the creation of this thing." And I hadn't flown it at that point. And the thing is, with the with the wing, I. I wanted it like the AR wing was. I didn't want a hotliner. I didn't want something that was going to do 115 miles an hour. I wanted something that with a 7,000 milliamp hour battery, LiPo battery in the nose, it was going to balance and the CG was going to be in the right place. And then you could fly for 90 minutes, right? You could put your FPV gear on it. You know, you could sit there and you could just relax and just have that. Because I love to fly like that and have those really serene um you know kind of flying things it's kind of what I, I not everyone likes that right it's a broad church but that's what the wing was designed for but i didn't know if it flew like that so here's ari and he's been very kind said we'll put your logo on the box and blah 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 and i was like i'm really nervous about this because i i don't like the idea of review channels endorsing things like products because personally, I have this little question in my mind is that, OK, so if you have a competing product that's sent to you and your other product, when it's sold, you get a kickback because you've got your brand name on it. Are you going to give that other motor a fair shake if you don't make any money off it because you've been a YouTuber to replace a day job? Now, the, the, in reality, they probably are. But for me as a viewer and, you know, um, for myself's marketing background, I'm, I've got that question mark. Right. I'm kind of like, why are you going to do it? So I was really nervous about it. And I said, look, I haven't flown it. So he said, OK, what we'll do is we'll put a thank you in the manual with your logo. I was like, right. And he said, in the first 500 units we make, it'll have a special battery strap. Did you ever have you ever seen any of the special battery straps that they make? Hey, there we have it. Right. Keep hold that. That's going to be worth money someday because they only shipped. Sorry, Mark, you're on mood again, buddy. Yeah, unfortunately, it snapped in a 120 kph crash. <laughs> Mark, if you send me your address, because I, I will send you one, because what they did is they had a production run of 2000 made and he sent me the other 1500. So I literally have a bag. The size of the first thing. Oh, wow. Right? So if any of you guys ever want, you know, a battery strap, just hit me up because I have literally about a thousand dollars of them. But, um, so so when, the, when the wing came, you know, going back to my story before about the Maiden, I was really nervous about it. And if you've seen the Maiden video, I throw it and fly it over the muddiest, most disgusting, horrible field you've ever seen in your life, right? It was the day before we were about to go into another lockdown here in the UK. Uh, so it was my one and only chance to get one of my flying buddies in with, his, with wearing my hat cam. So it was a one-shot deal, right? Any other day, I'd have gone to the field and just looked at it and just gone, no way, not a, not a hope. But I had to do it. So and luckily, when I threw it up, it flew, the CG was working, and it was that graceful uh, endurance style playing. It only pulls about four, five, six amps in cruise. So I was really happy. But the thing is, I get a lot 
of people who contact me going, I love the AR Wing Pro, it's brilliant, it's just what I want. And they fly it like it was designed for, where it's, you know, it's an endurance, soaring, floaty wing. And I get like an, another group of people who get in touch with me go, what were you thinking? Were you on drugs when you came up with this list? Because it's terrible. <laughs> but they're trying to fly it in a way that it wasn't designed for. You know, if you want something that's going to go like stink, there are a million other different wings on the market that are probably better suited. Uh, just so you feel good about this whole experience, we take a, a poll at the start of the year. Every year, we're going to do a poll. So we did the top 21 planes of 2021, and the AR Pro was number one. Wow. Okay. Oh, okay. Something went okay then. Fantastic. Well, that's, well, thank you to everyone that voted for it. It does. Interestingly, since Ari has left, the new marketing guy has a very different style. And that very close collaborative working uh, relationship that I had with ZOHD and Sonic Model has disappeared. It's building up a little bit now. Um, but it's a bit of a shame because I think that the only reason, in my humble opinion, that the AR Wing Pro is as good as it is, you know, opinions vary, but it's because the manufacturer did something weird. They actually came and asked the pilots what yeah. they wanted, right? Too many, I mean, look at the, some of the models that are coming out at the moment, you just get them and they definitely have been on drugs when they've come up with them because it's like, well, what part, you know, who is this aimed at? And it isn't clear. And a lot of the models coming out at the moment seem to be aimed at the, you know, oh, I need to go 120 miles an hour crowd, yeah. which is fine. I've got wings and I do that. But it's like, well, what, a, what about the days that I just want to go and it's a beautiful day and it's a fantastic view and the, you know, and I just want to go up to altitude on a DJI goggles, go up to maximum altitude and just float and soar around with the birds. And not many people are doing that at the moment. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, they're, um, you've, uh, you've, uh, so yeah, this AR Wing Pro is, was a fantastic build. Uh, it is, it was number one. Number two was the AR Wing, the classic wing, the 900. So, um, uh, the one question I have for you, and I know this is, you touched on the subject, which is getting free stuff. And, uh, so that's a dream I think people have, like, if I'm going to be a reviewer, I get free stuff and I get all these great planes sent to me and I'm going to pick and choose the planes that I want. Cause these are the planes I would normally buy, but I'm going to get them for free. I'm going to say wonderful things about them. Uh, and then, uh, I, we had, uh, Andrew Newton on before, so he, um, basically told us that all his friends have all his old free planes and they don't want any more. So what do you do about <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Lee's laughing hysterically right now. So <laughs> what, uh, what's, what's your, what, what are the stories about the free stuff and the free planes? Because sometimes I bet you're sitting there you working on these things and you're like, this thing costs $80 and I'm spending five hours of my life on this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the funny thing is that the foam might cost you 80 bucks, right? But by the time you finish building it, you put eight hours of building. Because remember, of course, that you've got to document and film all the build process because you're going to make a video about it, right? So uh, you got that. And then you put all the equipment in. Um, and usually I'll try and put a flight controller in it because I want the telemetry to have things like current draw and airspeed, uh, ground speed and things like that. So I can talk to that in the video. So you, you end up putting loads of stuff in these. Uh, first of all, could we talk a little bit about free stuff, because I think that there are people who start YouTube channels with the express idea that the manufacturers are then just going to magically fall over themselves and send you 
boxes and boxes of free stuff, right? It does not happen, people. You have to spend a lot. Now, there are channels, you know, I put my hand up. Now, I am very lucky. I have a good relationship with a lot of vendors, and there are vendors that I love and trust. People like your Armatans, people like your uh, right wings. Although, to be fair, all my right wing stuff I bought because, you know, right wing doesn't give anything away for free. But but the, the there are manufacturers that I know and love. But the, there's also this other misconception that if you get a product for free, you're going to give it a favourable review, right? And I think I think this is something that's worthwhile talking about because there is only so many hours in the day. And going back to your point, Steve, about you know taking a really complicated subject and trying to squeeze it into a 10 minute video that you know a primary school teacher is going to understand. Um, what you don't realize is that sometimes the video that you watch that takes nine, 10 minutes to consume as a, as a viewer, the last one that I did, it was, oh yeah, it, it was, it was INAV, INAV compass alignment, right? And I had, I've, I was working on that for three weeks, right? three weeks. And I, a bit, and I even, I even, t I, I read everything in the, in the wiki and the docs and did the Google foo. Right, um, I, I've got my Recon 7 here that worked brilliantly. So I tried to uh, work out how that worked. Even got in touch with Pavel. Pavel told me exactly the same as what was in the docs, which wasn't any help at all. So, so sometimes, you know, you, you don't have thousands of hours every month to just do videos on, you know, is this a new set of fat shark killers or whatever. So I'm really picky if I'm ever offered anything. I spend a lot of time and actually look at what it is because I don't have time to get stuff in that's crap. Um, because what's the point of me getting something in that I'm going to spend all that time and effort and energy in? Because it, all right, it, some channels like to do this and be very controversial and talk about why this product is a pile of rubbish. But actually, I haven't got the time to do that. I, I'd rather get in stuff that I'm interested and excited in. And also, there's another aspect to that, is that going back to that AR Wing Pro example, the way that I fly and the kind of flying that I like to do uh, dictates what I think is a good model. Uh, reviews are subjective, and people seem to miss this. Things that you get in um, might be perfect for how I fly. You know, I might, might like get a quad in, like the Recon 7 that's built for endurance, will take iNav, um, you know, have the HD system on it and is exactly what I want to do. Is it going to be great for freestyle or racing? No, it's not. Similarly with wings and fixed wing models, there's all those different things as well. So, so I think you have to be a bit careful with reviewers. Um, you can absolutely fall down that hole of I'm going to be controversial uh, because that actually drives a lot of traffic to your website it's a great way to get views if you're trying to support a, you know a, replace a day job i'm not interested in that so i'm really careful about stuff i'm getting the stuff i get in going back to your comment steve about all my friends have amazing uh, garages full of models yeah it's exactly the same <laughs> all my, <laughs> you know <laughs> the models that i can break down again go back in boxes and christmas and birthdays for my mates they always get a cardboard box because the, the, the thing is is that i can i can give away because uh, i've done things in the past like donated built models to radio uh, clubs for raffles for uh, charity and things like that but the the issue is is that 
once you've made these things they're so bloody big transporting them and sending them to somebody else is almost impossible so you have to physically give them and whereas a quad you know you can get six quads on a shelf right you know once you've made a two meter glider and you've got six of them you're kind of running out of place to park your car you know (laughs) so 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 it is it's really tricky so particularly for the fixed wings that's why i think i've ended up as a pilot going down the wing thing so heavily is because I, I love the way that wings fly in, but they're super duper portable. They'll fit in my little car, but also, um, you know, you can break them down for storage. And if you can take the wings off, you know, my garage, you know, I, 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 they got, they're all kind of stacked up like plates in a dishwasher, you know, side by side, because you can do that with a wing, but you can't do it with, uh, with something like a Bixler or a, a Tundra or any of those other bigger models. Darren, you had a question? Uh, well, it wasn't really a question. It was just um, to go back to what Lee was saying about speed. I just wanted to say congratulations to Rupert for getting his FPV uh, GPS speed record back. Uh, yeah, definitely. 509 kilometers an hour or 316 miles an hour. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> he saw an American took it over about 441 kilometers an hour. So he wanted to get it back after that. So he smashed it. Don't worry, the USA will get it back soon enough. <laughs> Mark. Uh, I wanted to add something about the uh, review and uh, freebie stuff you talked before. Um, th- that's really a, a good point. Uh, sometimes re- reviewer uh, doesn't matter if they buy the, the, the stuff or if they uh, get it for free, if, if they are honest at least. Um, they say yeah okay this is a good product or this is a total crap product because uh, it doesn't do what they want wanted to wanted to do i think the better way is and that's uh what uh what i usually try also in my videos is uh, to find out what the model can do and then give recommendations what people this model is made for and if it really flies like crap uh, if it's a plane, for example, then sorry, then it flies like crap. Then it's nothing you can, not much you can do about it. I mean, uh, the AR Pro was a, was a good example. Um, I'm um, usually I'm a guy who likes long range flying or low altitude cruising, maybe some speed cruising, and that's why uh, I really love the AR Pro because it's a perfect small long range platform. It can fly forever on lithium iron. Uh, it starts easy. I had just one failed launch right at the beginning because that was uh, because the airframe was wet from a previous landing in red grass and i slipped away it crash landed yeah, and I, that, yeah and, and I, it hit my uh, it hit my uh, or a, a stone hit my camera so the uh, fpv cam was damaged and i just recently had my first crash with it uh, when i did a little bit too much acrobatic and pulled up not hard enough and hit the ground with 120 kilometers per hour <laughs> but it was a flat impact so the plane is totally fine uh, just a few cracks i had to i had to glue to glue down uh, but yeah the ar pro is for example it's a medium acrobatic plane it's a great cruiser it's a great long ranger the old ar wing was more for ripping around for example uh, if you take the zohd drift for example yeah it's a small glider it's a fantastic line of sight plane especially for learning uh, but it's not that good at uh, flying high altitude flying long range because it's just too slow and if the weather fits uh, you can use it for proximity and i think we just have to mention what kind of people should get these planes and not if the these planes match our flying style 
Because that doesn't matter. No, no, no one, no one cares cares how we fly. Everyone wants to know if if it's something for him, for his flying style, and that's the important part. That's one of the questions I wanted to ask Lee, which is, year twenty twenty two is rapidly coming upon us right now, and um, so if you only had three planes that you can fly for all of twenty twenty two, what would they be? Oh, you love the tricky questions, don't you, Steve? <laughs> let's, 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 okay, we, we've had an hour What do you fly when you're not on um, the cameras are off? It's probably another way to just right. ask the question. It, it is a great question, and it's one that I uh, I do an annual uh, video called Kit Picks. And it's uh, because the thing is as well, you know, with, with the output that I have, it's very difficult if you're not watching everything and keeping track of all the videos. It's like, well, of the 12 radios you've looked at over the last 12 years, you know, which is the one that you, you'd recommend. And going back to, um, to Mark's point, it really depends on what you want, what your experience is, what you've got already. You know, there's no one panacea perfect yeah, system for everybody. But the, the, the things that I have loved this year, and it, and they're all wings, um, I love the Atomasi Dolphin. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have flown one. Um, I was late to the Atomasi party. I'll put my hand up to this. It was somebody who pinged me, and this is what I love about the hobby. Somebody sent me a message said, oh, have you tried the Atomasi Dolphin? And I was like, well, that's, that just sounds because when you hear Atomarsi Dolphin, you imagine this kind of blunt nose porpoise, you know, kind of, you know, a manatee shape. You're thinking, geez, that's going to be one ugly plane. So I kind of Googled it and looked at it. And um, for those of you that are old enough, you remember a film with Clint Eastwood in called Firefox mm. from, from the 80s, right? And Firefox was this experimental MIG that uh, Clint Eastwood stole from Russia, you know, this back in the days when, you know, films did that kind of stuff. And I loved Firefox. I just thought it was amazing. And it, and it had echoes of Firefox. So I thought, I'm going to get one. Had zero expectation about this. And this is interesting. It kind of goes to your, to your last question, Steve. Um, you know, when you're getting things in for review, if, you ha if it's been hyped to ridiculous amount, right, you get the model in, it's almost impossible for anything to live up to that hype. Right. So the, there's always going to be it, it can only match how amazing you think it's going to be. If you have very low expectations, something comes in, it's always going to be a pleasant surprise. And that's going to be reflected in the review. Right. So anyway, so this dolphin comes in. I think, oh, OK, right. So wax in price price. I know. Right? <laughs> puts, puts all that stuff in it. Uh, takes it out to the field and fly. Uh, my mate goes, oh, that's that's a, that's a small prop for that big plane. And I was like, eh. Is it? So I threw it up in the air and immediately fell in love. It huh. was just, this is great. It can go really quickly. It'll do 110 miles an hour on the standard motor and prop. It's got a stupid big battery base, so you can put stupid big batteries in it. Um, it'll also do nice roll rates. Pitch authority is a bit meh. You have to work on that. Um, in fact, Darren was fantastic in the, I think, the review I did of it. Darren put a great answer about talking about um, the fact that the feed forward after the auto-tune for the pitch authority uh, was so high, it indicated that we needed more throws. Anyway, uh, get into the weeds. But love that. That is one that always goes out on me. It's analog FPV. It's not digital. Uh, there's the peanut camera that goes in the nose. It's got the FPV combat system in it. It has stupid amounts of room inside. So even if you, you start off and you don't really plan your build, which I kind of didn't with this because I just put iron in for a test, I still had more than enough room for all the other crap that's gone in it because literally the bay is full. Um, 
so so the dolphin if you haven't got an atomarcy dolphin and you like wings uh then it's it's not the most agile about there but it, as as a as an all-rounder it's brilliant it'll even float in it's one of those that you can high alpha as you come in and you can almost stall it into the grass it's beautiful the next one that i'm a real fan of is uh, it's a model that lots of people have made and you can get them from lots of different places but i got the one from diatone the diatone ripper r690 yeah 690 millimeter wing um my mate got one first again this is another wing that i i actually um, again bought mine i uh went to see one of my flying buddies one of these classic instances where you they pull something out of the bag and you go Ooh, what's that um and anyway he flew this thing he flew it manually it had an fpv on it um and i was like crikey that's good so anyway the next two times we went flying kept looking at it and uh every time i thought you know this is really good so in the end it was i think he managed to snag it for like 40 dollars or something it was on a sale so it was a ridiculously cheapest kit so i managed to find it for about 60 dollars or whatever it was and ordered it and built it out um it's got but i put the hd system in mine and it'll do 115 120 miles an hour on 4s it's got a long range tattoo battery 2200 4s battery um, and it'll fly for about 15 18 minutes and it'll go like stink the roll rate is stupid and it is brilliant when i've i when i, when I get to the field i'll fly the dolphin first to get my eye in we all have that plane right that you know that you trust that isn't going to kind of bite you on the ass so you fly that one just to get all right okay i'm back um i will fly the dolphin first and that will feel agile until i've flown flown the diatone and then going back to the Dolphin feels like a really sedate, gentle family cruiser after getting out of a Porsche Carrera. It is fantastic. And in HD, you know, you can go like stink. The only issue with it is it isn't very robust. Um, I've broken most of it at the moment. It's probably 20% hot glue at this point. Um, but for a 40, 50 pound model, 50, $60 model, you don't care. So long as the electronics are okay, you know, if I really screw it up and I destroy the thing, it's like, meh. So, you know, I'll, I'll do it. The, the, I had a problem last time. I, I threw it. I did that thing where, you know, when you're about to do a, an, an iNav auto launch um, and there's the little voice in your head going, something isn't quite right here. Don't throw it. And, and, and all common sense says to you when when that little voice goes like the jiminy cricket says to you you've been an idiot stop if you don't then take it down unplug it plug it into iNav and just check you're not being a, a pillock uh, but no no i was gonna i was determined i was gonna fly i've been waiting for an hour at this point so i threw it and immediately went nose in snapped the nose off pulled the antenna off the off the hd unit you know and it was just bits of foam everywhere so again you know another two percent hot glue but um but the diatone is great i've had to laminate it to make it stronger but for a 60 wing it doesn't matter so those are always in the car and they both run off the same 2200 4s batteries so i can take the batteries and then just use the one i'm in the mood for the last one the third one that's where it gets tricky um i, I have the Drax, the right wing Drax. Um, I have the Mini and the Nano. Um, and they are expensive, but by golly, they are fabulous. Um, they fly almost like nothing else. Um, so 
if I'm feeling particularly brave and we're flying over a field that isn't going to rip my drac to pieces, because you can't get the mini drac anymore, I think. I think you only get the nano now. You know, it, it's it's like taking out, you know, like um, like a classic car now. You know, you only take it on the Sunday drive and you wipe it down before you put it back in the garage. It's kind of getting to that level, which is a real shame because it is uh, is a fantastic bird. And then also uh, in similar vein, there's a there's an outfit in the UK called E Wings, based in Scotland, who hmm. make similar models out of very dense foam. Um, the issue with those models is that you have to put a massive power system on it because when they're all built up, it's about 1.6 kilograms, which Jeez. for normal normal wings that I fly, you know, I'm 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 like if this is hit somebody, they're going it's going to decapitate them. Yeah. But uh, for for when I kind of rang E wings and just went, I'm a bit worried about this. It's 1.6 kilograms. And he went, Oh, I'll be fine. We have got people flying them at four four and a half. And I was like, that seriously, that would go through a brick wall if it hit the brick wall at that speed. But that, again, is the same kind of design. It's very loud. It's very quick, um, uh, but but very similar to the Drax in, in the performance. So if you've ever wanted to buy your, um, a mini Drax and you can't get them now, uh, E-Wings is, in my opinion, next best bet. So probably those three would be my answer. Very long way of answering it, Steve. Hope that's okay. Uh, one thing about the about the dolphin, uh, I had actually the chance to maiden one in uh, summer this year for for a buddy uh, on an FPV meetup, but unfortunately I was not able to fly it because it was running on autopilot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, speaking it, of the dolphin, the dolphin, yeah. Uh, so it, it it was running on uh, autopilot, so it was actually controlling, not flying, as we all know. And uh, the next worst thing was uh, the operating yeah and the next uh, problem was he messed up his switch assignment so he didn't know where the, his switches were so it was basically <laughs> it, it, it it was completely stuck in fly by wire a and returned to home that was where the only two modes he could use so yeah no flying <laughs> only to making a few rounds and then just landing in the fpva fbwa so I, I, one question I have for you, Lee, uh, when it comes to the Dolphin was um, this year we also about the same time had the Talon Pro came out and um, it's like I haven't heard anything about the Talon Pro. It's like I, I went to the group and looked and there's only been a couple comments on it. So was that one of the planes that you got and you prefer the Dolphin over the Talon Pro, obviously? I have seen the Talon Pro uh, and played with it. It's on my list of things to play with. I I'm one of those pilots that are not a fan of the Talon family. Um, I know for some pilots, this is sacrilegious to say, and they're probably already get you know kind of sharpening the pitchforks and lightening the uh, the, the flaming torches to come and get me. But I I, I I've always said that the Talons uh, fly like bricks do. In Douglas Adams, you know the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, they describe the Vogon destructor fleet as hovering in the air exactly like bricks don't. <laughs> right and and that is kind of how i feel about the talons um because i prefer planes that have a wider speed envelope uh, you know after saying about the diatone it's things like the diatone ripper that we just talked about you know anything under 40 miles an hour it is kind of like I'm, i'm not doing it i'm just not doing it so when you come in you have to come in hot and ideally into a field that has long grass and you have to use the grass to slow you down um i like planes that like the dolphin that will still go at stupid speeds and roll and flip, but then you can cut it back 
And like the other day, I was following my friend and I had it down at 15 miles an hour ground speed in a pretty calm day um, and then started a turn and then dropped to 12 miles an hour. And then she started to misbehave. And I was thinking, what is wrong with you? And then realized that I was basically stalling. And I now was probably working incredibly hard to stop me from killing myself in the plane. Um, but but the, the, the talons, I've always found that they have quite a dramatic um stall when you fly too slow so for the places that i fly i don't have places that you can come in under power like that i like to kind of float in so the talent stuff um you know it's, it's not been great now interestingly the pilots that i know that have the talent pro have all said it is the most untalent like talent that they've flown and that i would like it um it is uh, incredibly efficient um, and it's incredibly uh, good at slower flight, which is unusual. The, the length of the wings, I think they've taken some of the stuff on board. Um, I would like one, but again, it's one of those models that hasn't been designed for modern FPV pilots like us, that, that some of us like to fly. It's one of those things that when I get it, I'm going to have to get the, you know, the Sharpie out and the Exacto and start cutting into this very expensive piece of foam that I've just bought in order to mount the stuff. And because really it's designed as um, having seen one, it's designed more like an Ardu pilot mapper, that style of plane rather than a, yeah. you know, you take it to the field, you put your, your camera gear in it, you throw it and you chase your mate around and you do acrobatics and you shoot under the tree and then you land it. This is kind of more the thing. It's up there for 90 minutes surveying the, uh, the forest. Yeah, it's basically like all XUAV planes. I mean, uh, the clouds here uh, is basically the same, just... Uh massively scaled up on uh, 1.9 meters and uh, with parachute and everything all in uh, yeah most of the xuav pla planes are basically mapping and autonomous flying planes by design i do think they missed a trick though because i think it was one of your videos lee where you went to 3dxr and they had this talent pro there and it was in this awesome gray color and i was i was looking at it, thinking, where can i get one it's like oh yeah i painted it myself like, oh <laughs> it looks so good in that color it's awesome yeah that was his tip of the day on that visit um, plastic coat is actually what he right. used to paint it and it looked amazing and also because it didn't dry um hard it also it doesn't flake off and if you have a little bit of a crash you know the paint just doesn't immediately separate and it didn't destroy the face but no but ben up at 3dxr uh it's always like going to that bit at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark you know that massive place where they like a big warehouse full of boxes and it's full of treasure and they roll yeah. the ark up that you know and it goes back for <laughs> that's what 3DXR is like you just go in and I'm just like <laughs> it, it always costs me money I have yet to walk out of 3DXR without going if I if I kind of place an order on the website now can you can you get it from 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 the stock room <laughs> um so it, it it always cost me money but it's fantastic but it, he does all the stuff with the big vtol planes and things um which again i'm still planning to do a series on and unfortunately you know we're, we're, we're way off with the inav code yet in fact that's one of the things darren and i were talking about in that 90 minute chat we we're talking yeah. about the need for separate profiles and how you uh, change and things but um but the vtol stuff is something that i'm really excited about i would love a wing 
going back to the point about, you know, you have to have a big area for a wing that doesn't float because you have to be able to bring it in at speed and, you know, be able to to land it. Uh, I'd love a wing that could go like stink, but that could also do VTOL takeoff and landing. That would be my ideal because then I wouldn't have to have find a field if I had an opening in a canopy of trees in the middle of nowhere, I could fly my wing about. I know I'm I'm talking about that uh, for for half a year now, but I still have the uh, the Sonic model the Sky Hunt uh, Sky Hunter Racing here behind me, and uh, there uh, my plan is to put uh, three inch quad motors on there, two in the front and one in the back to make a micro VTOL. Uh, out of it and i hope i can do it with enough but uh yeah it, it's not on the top of my prior list right now now i think we're going to end up doing x-plane mark because at the moment uh, inav is so far away from having all those key elements in order to handle both a fixed wing and a multi-rotor uh setup and transition but it's amazing just watching all the prs happening and all the commits that are going on at the moment for inav4 as well as all the stuff that you know Uh, Darren's been working on it's it's it looks like it's coming but I'm, you know anything in the next 12 months I think we'll end up using X-Plane yeah I, I think uh, my plan is to uh, fiddle around with the programming and the custom pit controller to get it somehow to work so it's it, it's more it's more like a challenge I put uh, I put for myself to get this thing into a VTOL and if it doesn't work uh, I will I will get a F4 or 5 WSE flight controller for that one so if it doesn't work I just put autopilot on it and uh, I'm fine well I wish you all the best with that if you get it working and figure it out please uh, hit me up and let me know because I, yeah, I, 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 I I love the idea of having because uh, the thing is there's so many ways that you can do VTOL you can either have it like a tricopter or you can have it like a, a rotating um, you know twin prop or you can have it like a tail sitter tail sitters for me sound like the simplest way of doing it but um, it re does require an awful lot of some smart stuff going out in the flight controller uh, yeah, my, my idea is, uh, can I get it without ripping out the cable here? My idea is, um, what I want to do uh, to save uh, to save servers and complexity, the, my first idea was to have a, a two-axis pan and a tiltable motor at the back, so uh, I, can, I can use it for hover, and then the front motors just turn off, and this motor goes back as a pusher. But then uh, I had a better idea, Uh, I want to build a mechan mechanism at the front here to make a, uh, a twin motor setup and connect the motor tilt with the uh, with the ailerons. So if I if I want to hover, I just put the motors up and the uh, ailerons go full down basically. And if I start to fly forward, I generate lift and I use them as uh, as flaps, flapperons basically, uh, while the plane gains speed and then they go full forward and. As the uh, motors will still tilt, when I go uh, on the roll axis, I get additional roll authority. So I just need very little uh, movement on the on the servos anyway. So I hope that works. <laughs> I've got my fingers crossed for you, Mark. I think that sounds like a fantastic idea. I'd, I'd like to think that in a 12 months, a lot of us will have made our first VTOL. Uh, but then I said that this time last year. So, um, you know, we'll all live in hope. Yeah, I, I have this plane lying around since since spring or so, uh, and still not started with it. But uh, yeah, it's right now it's on place four, uh, on fourth place of my to do list. Right. So um, one of the questions I had for you was um, actually your experience 
we brought this up before the show started, and this is kind of a really important question. We haven't gotten to it yet, which was um, when I first started looking at INAV back in 2017, you did look to see this. Uh, I, I went to the videos, and there are very few videos on INAV. And the only video series I found was Matt's series and your series on INAV. So you were onto this long before anybody else was, um, before us in the group were, basically. So what was it about INAV that you saw? Because you were right years ago. Uh, well, thank you for that. It's, it's, it happens now and again, but I think it's more by uh, luck than judgment. Uh, it, it, INAV is something that, you're right, the first series was created the first videos were created in january 2017 but i've been aware of the project for about 18 months before then wow. so if we wind the wave back machine back to about 2014 um back then um <clears throat> uh, multi-rotors were very much um a very new thing right so uh, lots of heli pilots like me were trying out multi-rotors because when a heli crashes you know you're literally talking about seven hours to repair the head right and a multi-rotor you just replace the, the yes. blade yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah multi-rotors don't try and kill themselves all the time which is basically a helicopter is always half a second away from complete destruction um and uh, as my, as the scars on my arm show and and you know sometimes they want to take you with them so um back in back in those days uh, there was something called multi-wing and apologies to those of you who know this ancient history, but this is kind of how we've ended up where we are today and kind of relevant to the question. In 2014, there was a thing called multi-wing and people were using Arduino technology with the sensor out of a, multi, um, a Nintendo Wii, you know, kind of those um, sensor controllers because it had the gyro and um, accelerometers in it. The remote. Oh, that's it. <laughs> we were sticking them together and putting this code called multi-Wii on it, which is where the Wii part comes, and making these things called uh, what, quadcopters. I'm not even sure we were calling them quadcopters back then. We probably didn't hadn't even just described how it was going to work. Were they quadcopters anyway, at the time? <clears throat> no, I think we we I think we were just yeah multi-rotors maybe. I don't know, but it, it, it was the very very early days, right? So multi-Wii was an eight-bit operating system running on Arduino. And it was uh, the interface was terrible, and the way you set it up was very technical. I was sent my first board. I remember I was on holiday. I got contacted out the blue by uh, an outfit saying, "Oh, we'll send you a multi-way." And back then, I was using a KK flight controller. Um, for those of you that've been in hobby ages, you know it's kind of this is like bingo. You know, you can kind of put a tick in all of the names that I'm using from like the hobby all this time ago. So I I, I did my first multi-wee series um, and loved it. And the, the thing with multi-wee was it had GPS return to home, and it had GPS loiter. I don't think it was called that then, but you could actually flick a switch and it would sit in the air. Now this blew my mind. Right, I couldn't believe this was so cool. So then a, a, a gentleman called Time Cop then took the 8-bit code that was multi-way and cleaned it up and turned it into a, an open source project called Baseflight. Uh, without getting into all the politics, lots of arguments happened. Then another gentleman called Dominic took the Baseflight code and created something called Clean Flight, right? So this is probably 2015-ish, something like that maybe, uh, which in the, in the hobby terms is a million years ago. Now, Clean Flight was the one that we all flew back then. 
And then people decided that they had particular things they wanted to focus on. And I was talking to Dominic a lot back then because he he created something called the Seriously Pro F3 board, one of the first F3 flight controllers, which oh. every, which everyone lost their mind over. It's like, when are we ever going to use the power of an F3 processor? Little did they know. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because you know, now we're all looking at F4 going, mm, it's getting a bit tight. So... So he brought that out and I was talking to him and there were these two that go, go on that Mark, you've got to show that. Mark, I'll say something. Yeah, I, I can switch to you, no worries. So yeah, the good old SP Racing F3 and it's even the deluxe, <laughs> deluxe version with onboard uh, magnetometer. Oh well, the deluxe version. I never had one of those. <laughs> yeah, I, I only had these in the past, uh, but uh, only two of them and one is now here on the tracker. I tell you what, Mark, you've got lots of stuff that in time is going to be worth a lot of money because, you know, the, 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 this is the history of the hobby there. So uh, when when Dominic created the Seriously Pro board, he reckoned he would get about four months before it was cloned by the Chinese. And he got about three weeks and it became the most cloned flight controller, I think, in the history of the hobby. Right. So anyway, so the other thing that Dominic's doing, as well as designing groundbreaking flight controllers, is also working and creating this code called Clean Flight. There were two groups of people who decided that Clean Flight could improve in two specific areas. One was how Clean Flight handled the flight performance for things like racing. Ooh, we can race these things. And that uh, was forked into this little project called Beta Flight. Probably never heard of it. <laughs> and then there was another lot of guys, like um, headed by Konstantin Sharlamov, who decided that he wanted to fork Clean Flight. Sounds rude, it isn't? It's a thing with open source. Into something called INAV Flight, and he would work on um, sorting out all the GPS stuff that was broken when it came from multi-wee to base flight, from base flight to clean flight. The GPS code had been completely screwed. So, so Constantine says, well, we can fix that, right? So I'm speaking to Dominic during this period because I'm really interested in this whole GPS thing. Because going back to the thing about I like to fly, you know, and just and explore and have those, you know, kind of zen flying experiences. The I, What I love with MultiWii is that I knew if ever my goggles, because back then, you know, a lot of the systems and stuff we were using wasn't as good a quality as it is now. If any of my stuff misbehaved, I could flick the return to home switch and MultiWii would fly the multi-rotor back to me, stop over the home position, then gently descend, hit the ground and disarm without me doing a thing. Right? <laughs> and I thought... This is what I need. I want this on my modern multi-rotors with my SP Racing F3, right? Non-clone because it's point Dominic. So every time I spoke to Dominic about this, Dominic went, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. Because what will happen is all the things that they fix in Beta Flight and INAV, once it's fixed, it'll all get committed and rolled back into the Clean Flight project. And I believed that for about <laughs> a year, right? <laughs> so, so anyway, after 12 months, you know, we're having the conversation again and I'm starting to smell something a bit fishy. And I think I've got to speak to the INAV guys because surely because this was the INAV was about 1.3, 1.4 at this point, something like that. Jeez. So 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 I goes I goes to Constantine and reached out to him because um, Dominic put me in touch with Constantine. I, I, I chatted to him and said, look, I'd like to make 
uh, some videos on this stuff because all this code's going back to clean flight eventually, right? But I'd like to understand it because I, I think other people would benefit because GPS modes haven't worked forever, blah, blah, blah. And he went, the code isn't going back. <laughs> I said, why not? He said, we've had to fix so much stuff. It's not like it's the GPS code. It's these three modules, right, that we have to – it's like the whole underlying systems had to change in order for this stuff to work. And I was like, oh, my God, you mean this is – this is?" he said, no, it's never going to go back. It, it can't. <clears throat> It'd be easier to import the changes from clean flight into iNow than the other way around at this point. <clears throat> so I was like, right, okay, we need to make a video. So this is at 1.4 now, I think it is. So Constantine is thinking that this little INAV project is never going to go anywhere. Nobody's really interested. It's something he's doing for his own edification. And I was like, no, 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 no. Trust me, once we make a video on it and people know this stuff works, it'll be immense. And during the conversation, he also happened to drop into it that I, INAV also understood fixed wing. Oh, <laughs> And I and I, I kind of went, whoa, <laughs> because I, I hadn't even thought about that. So the first series I made in uh, January 2017, it came out in January 2017, but it was actually made in November, December in 2016. Uh, I, I stuck it on a little multi-rotor that sat in the air and the return to home worked exactly like it did in multi-way. So I got back the stuff I loved two years previously, tick be good. But I also put it on a wing. And my first ever INAV wing, I mean, we were talking about this before we came on air, but I'll kind of reiterate it. But the, uh, the Texumo wings, which we all, I'm sure most of us have had at one point from Hobby King, they, they, they were such great cheap wings and they don't make them anymore. Why? But I had a Texumo wing that was knocked to pieces. It was, again, 20% hot glue, probably 20% gaffer tape. So I thought if, if it doesn't work with this, it doesn't matter. I haven't lost anything. And I hot glued uh, a flight control on the back. I hot glued a GPS. I hot glued uh, glued the receiver, and it it was the most horrific looking thing. You know the Back to the Future DeLorean in Back to the Future Three, <laughs> right? Where it's got all that stuff kind of like gaffer taped on, right? You know, that's what it looked like. And I flew it, and I just fell in love. I had an on-screen display that was showing me things like speed, distance, uh, and then uh, we started to get things like direction to distance to home. The return to home worked. I could uh, click on uh, circle mode, I think it was. There was circle, which was just circle on its own. There was then uh, nav position hold, which was circle around the GPS location you implemented it in. And I thought, this is epic. So I was saying to Constantine, this is going to be a big project because nobody else is thinking about the GPS and the fixed wing stuff because they're still not, amazingly. Everyone's, you know, it's it's multi-rotor stuff and that's fine. So you're going to be the only show in town if you don't want a Vector or an APM or a Pixhawk. It's INAV and with a £20 flight controller, back before the chip shortage, and a £20 GPS, you can give your plane a brain which if you're going to be a little bit of a naughty boy and fly to the edge line of sight where, you know, orientation is a bit tricky. Uh, if you ever get to that situation where you're thinking, oh, I, can re I really can't tell which way my wing's pointing, you just flick a switch and the wing goes, yeah, fine, okay, I'm coming back. And it would fly back. Um, so, so, yeah, so I've been, I've been involved with it um, ever since because Constantine, I think, got a job at Google, so he kind of moved off the project. Then I got to know Pavel. 
um, and then started actually adding and chipping in ideas for the project as, and, and things to change. A lot of which have come from my experiences with other flight control systems like Arduplane. So things like the automatically trimmed servos um, that we got in iNav, it might be iNav, three, was it three or 2.7? Three. Um, that was one that I, I said, look, this is the way that Arduplane does it. And it's epic. Why can't we do it? Um, and it's really good because the INAV is one of those really weird projects that hasn't gone through the same cycle as other ones have. I, you know, because I, I described this in a video that's coming out soon, is that the, when projects start, these open source projects, they're really high energy. All the developers are really excited. They've all got great ideas. They're all out to prove something. And then the project gets running and you go into what I call maintenance phase, where it's all about code maintenance, updating, documentation, patch fixing, that kind of stuff. And then unfortunately it gets into the final stage, which is where things like OpenTX are in now, potentially things like Betaflight, where you kind of stop seeing major innovation, major updates, major bug fixes happening. Because uh, to be honest, there's always a more fun, exciting, sexy project in open source land. Look at ELRS. Open HD, you know, the list is huge in the hobby that it can take a developer's time and they can have more fun with. Um, and but INAB doesn't seem there's always a fresh lot of blood coming in with a fresh perspective with stuff to prove. And that's what I love about the INAB project, because normally by now, any other open source project would be in the, oh, you know what, and we'd be on to something else. But it's cool that 2017 I made my first series and I'm still making INAB videos now. Yeah, our, our group started at the end of 2018, and it was kind of like the first year we are trying to figure out how to get stuff working. And there was a young guy out of Germany named Mark Hoffman who came along and said, hey, I can help you, like, decipher this and figure this out. And um, it was really – the thing I, I brought – I was thinking about was that when INAV came out around that time – um, or INAV at that time seemed to be, they were focused on being a smarter version of, of Betaflight. And it was kind of like a lot of multi-rotor focus. <clears throat> then in 2020, it seemed to become its own entity. INAV is INAV. It's not a smarter version of Betaflight. We're, the fixed wing became huge. And we have this relationship now with the developers where, and there's a lot of new developers who walked into the project as well. Uh, but also a lot of enthusiasm for the community, which has been absolutely fantastic. I think as a project, it definitely has uh, secured its place in the hobby. Now, I don't think it's the, you know, poor man's beta flight or the poor man's clean flight or the poor man's anything. And I think I think what they've really been able to do is kind of define what the project is now. And again, one of the reasons I humbly submit that the INAF project is still growing and, and you know, gaining more installs, because uh, that was a regular thing. Every time Constantine and I used to do a call, my, my question at the beginning was always, so how many installs have you got? And it was really funny. It, was, it had this kind of exponential growth. And he was always tickled pink that people were using it. He couldn't believe that other people were interested in this thing called INAF. But now, you know, it's if it's a fixed wing, every single one, actually, that's not true. Two of my wings have something else in them. One's got a vector. One's got a Pixhawk, right? Yeah. Um, but everything else has iNav. Because the thing is, as well, as I've become really comfortable with how to set up iNav and how all the funky stuff works, I can set an iNav model from cold to ready to maiden in 20 minutes. And that includes making the cup of tea and getting the packet of biscuits. 
So it's it's no longer difficult. But but like you said, trying to make a video series that explains why you do those 45 steps in that particular order is really tricky. And it's amazing now, a lot of the questions that you get in places like YouTube are because people have missed one or two of those steps and then got to the end of the process and find that it doesn't work. When they try, when they flick the throttle, nothing happens. Yeah, and, and, and it, it's it's actually not difficult, but I think the INAV documentation, I'm, I'm so pleased that you guys have a website and put all the information and support out that you do. Because I think as a community, the easier we make it for pilots to come in and get the benefit out of the INAV system, the better. Because I constantly hear of people who say, INAV crashed my plane. INAV flew, <laughs> INAV flew my plane. Or I had a flyaway with INAV. Yeah. Well, I submit you have done something wrong with your setup. Yeah. Right? I have, let me touch wood when I say this, because I'm going to say something controversial again, really tempting fate. I have <laughs> never had anything go wrong with INAV with any of my setups. I've crashed planes, but that's going back to Mark's point about the plane being wet and not doing a good throw. Yeah. Hands up, we can all put our hands up for that, right? Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but, but in terms of the return to home and all that stuff working, the only thing that you have to do in my experience is make sure that extra arming safety is turned on. And then INAV will lock, not let you arm and take off until it's completely happy. You've got a GPS lock and you're set. If you don't follow all the things that are in the forums that you guys run in the videos that I make, if you try and shortcut it and be, try and be a smart ass and think you know better than the thousands of pilots that have gone before, brilliant, have a go. And then when you've crashed it, come back and we'll show you how we do it. But it's amazing that now the resources that the INAF community have to support each other, because going back to when it was 2017, it literally was only a handful of people. It was that all the wiki. You know, you read the GitHub stuff. And even now I'd submit that the GitHub stuff is still horrible. Um, you know, lots of stuff in INAF 3.0 still isn't in there, but no, nobody right, likes writing documentation let's let's be honest but you know that's why things like how to align your compass if your compass is at an angle and how to work what those offsets are took me three weeks if it took me three weeks all right it's probably 20 attempts over three weeks it wasn't like it was sat there solid and people were, you know pushing pizza in under the door or anything but i was i i had a rig i had a setup i'd try it i'd have a moment of oh inspiration i'll try that no it doesn't work that way and then in the end, I realized that there was a trick that I'd missed that isn't documented anywhere. And then when I put the video out, surprise, surprise, there's all the comments going, oh, well, yeah, that's just obvious because I just do it that way. And you're kind of <laughs> going, well, if it's that obvious, why can't I find anything on the internet that tells you how to do it? Because if it's that, it wouldn't have taken me three weeks because actually I can use Google. So um, how some of the new guys get up to speed without the help. So I just, you know, thank you for, for you guys for all you do for the INAF community as well, because it's a, it's, a, it's a massive help. And it's just somewhere where people can go and ask polite, thoughtful questions and get really good, useful answers. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too. Thank you um, for that. What's interesting is that we get the people who sign up for the group. When we get people who, like, work at grocery stores, and then we have people who are doctoral candidates at Oxford you know, and or people who are in air, work in aerodynamics, or people who are commercial airline pilots, or people who have had. We we had one guy a crunkle flop a couple of months ago, and he was talking about how he, he was a GA pilot, and he said he found INAV, and he never wanted to go back to flying 
real planes ever again. He just loves the iNav experience, and which was one question I wanted to ask you about. You talked about the the relaxed FPV experience. Um, what does uh, Mike? We'll get to your question in a second here. Uh, what is your I mean, preferred mode of flying. If you're just gonna go out for the day, do you like the do you like the screamers? It sounds like you just like to get up there and just relax and kick back. I don't have any. Uh, it depends on my mood on the day. That's the thing. It depends. You know, if if I'm I'm particularly particularly uh, aggressive, I'll, you know, I'll fly fast and I'll have fun. Uh, I'm very lucky. I have a number of flying buddies uh, uh, that I go and fly with. And one of the most fun things that I do is we'll get two planes up at once and we'll actually play what I call follow the leader. And we will we will kind of uh, follow each other around uh, and try and find each other and kind of do almost like dogfighting. When FPV Combat came out, I was just like, yes, <laughs> I need some of this action because you can do that and then you can shoot each other down. Um, virtually, of course, you know, yeah. it does violence. But uh, that is some of the funnest part for me because um there's always something to learn there's always something to teach and flying on your own uh, it's like sex right doing it on your own is nowhere near as much fun as doing it with other people in the room right so <laughs> so you know if, if you can oh, find somebody else yeah absolutely yeah, <laughs> yeah. apologies to all you listening to the, this in the car taking the kids to school <laughs> earmuffs but, yeah absolutely <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll caveat that bit but but genuinely if, if you i find flying with mates is actually one of the funniest funnest parts of the hobby. I don't care whether it's analog. I don't care whether it's digital. I don't what kind of model it is. If we're both there and we're having fun, because half of it for me is the flying and half of it is this kind of banter and fun chat. Uh, again, going back, because there's so much fun stuff in the hobby. And as I mentioned, you know, the, the Dolphin and the Diatone were both models that somebody else put me onto. You, you know, you, you can never assume that you're an expert in this hobby and you know everything because the moment you think you do, the hobby will come and spank you so hard and let you know that actually there's a whole part of the hobby that you don't know. Because I, I, I was involved in a program for Channel 4 here in the UK several years ago and there was lots of mature pilots who had only ever done line of sight. It was all about recreating Battle of Britain uh, dogfighting and events um, wow. using scale planes, right? So Spitfires and ME-109s and Stukas and things. Yeah. And as part of it, they, uh, they also had FPV in them, right? <clears throat> and there were lots of the older generation of pilots who weren't happy there were foam planes because that's not real radio control. But we gave them the FPV experience for the first time and they had a head tracker in a cockpit, a, a virtual Spitfire cockpit and they got scale, you know, other enemy 109s and they're all whirling around, uh, fitted with smoke and, and things like that, right? So it, it was amazing. And every single one of the pilots that took the goggles off just went, wow, that was amazing. But interestingly, before they'd experienced it, they'd all written it off as part of the drone part of the hobby. So it's the yeah. work of the devil. And that's yeah. the cool thing, right? I, that's what I love about this hobby. If you go to the field and someone's doing something that you've not seen before, do ne never have that opinion that that's part of the hobby is is inferior or something you're not going to like. Because it's amazing how often you'll go and do something and try something in the hobby and walk away with a new passion. Hey, Mark, you had a question? Uh, yeah, when uh, Lee talked about the uh, INAV setup, for example, uh, that, it's, that it's so fast... I mean, that's also what, what in, my, in my experience, is the same thing. Uh, if I get a new plane, uh, 
for example, if it's for, for review, of course, you get the package, you want to get your video, you want to get your review out as fast as possible to be uh, quicker than everything, everyone else, for example. And uh, yeah, it's so easy. You throw your flight controller in, you put enough on it, you go through all the tabs and uh, you know what to set up. Uh, sometimes you can just copy a, a CLI list of your default setup or, or of your different settings you put everywhere anyway, like your OSD modes, uh, uh, adjustments in INA, for example. You just put it in. My personal record for setting up INAV, uh I made in January 2020. I was with a few uh, friends in uh, Austria in the mountains to fly FPV there. I also made uh, two videos about that. And uh, one of my buddies had a mini drag with him. He bought that as a used one and uh, he was so scared uh, to bring that thing uh, in the air. He, he was pushing it back the whole day, the whole day, and then it, it, it became late and between the mountains it gets dark earlier than uh, usual. And I said, hey, come on, now let's get this thing flying. Uh, we just have tomorrow otherwise and tomorrow we are on, on, uh, on another location. So let's get the thing uh, airborne. And he said, okay, let's do it. We put it on. And then he had this, a weird issue. Every th every time he armed the plane, uh, his crossfire lost connection for some reason. I, I don't know why. Uh, we didn't figure it out. His INAF version was old. And I said, hey, come, come, come on, come screw it. Put your laptop on. And from the point after flashing, uh, when it booted up the first time, uh, my buddy looked at his watch and counted the time. It took me seven minutes and 20 seconds until everything was set up and I said, okay, it's ready to fly. <laughs> that was that was my personal record and and it flew. It, it really flew. Uh, we did a quick auto-tune and, uh, and that's it. And I think um, that, that's basically uh, the point. You don't have to do so much in INAF. And for, for me, but that's a personal, that's a personal opinion here. Um, I like to exactly know how the flight control software works in the background. To, if I understand how it works, I know how to use it exactly. And that's my problem, for example, uh, with autopilot. I have no idea how autopilot works in the background. People can only tell me if, if I ask a question, if I have an issue, people can just tell me, yeah, raise this, raise this value or change this or set this. Uh, uh, to this value or whatever, but I don't know wh why I actually have to do that. And uh, then I have to completely trust the software. And on INAF, it's just the point, I know how it works in the background. Uh, if I don't know how something works, I can ask directly a developer or whatever, and they tell me it's, if it's Pavel or Alex or Andreas or whoever. And uh, then I know how to use it. And that's the thing that I really like about INAF. That's uh, just simple it's rudimentary it has not so much features but uh i understand how it works and that makes it really easy to use for me i, I go, going back to your point about asking the developers the thing i really love is when it's a new feature and you're not sure about it it's not quite documented and you ask two of the devs the same question and you get two different answers that's what <laughs> always that's the bit i always love but in the early days you're like uh-huh Okay, so this is not well understood yet. That's fine. I'll go with answer one, and if it doesn't work, I'll go to answer two. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 I mean that's the thing with RD Pilot is that it, the, the core of the system is so well understood and so 
uh, solid. You know, the core hasn't changed for so long. You're right; it, it's a completely different animal. But I, but I think you know, in terms of the DNA of the core of the Ardu pilot system, it's probably 98% what it was five years ago. I mean, I could be doing a huge disservice to the Ardu pilot developers there, but it just it does work. But I, but I, I know what you mean. There's not a lot of extra stuff for all the stuff that Ardu pilot does in iNav. There's it's not like there's just enough essential parts. It's, you know, I'm not saying that that's what it is, but what it what what we need is there and actually works really well now. And it's been well tested at this point, hasn't it? We're about to wrap this up. I have one last topic I'd like to just bring up, and, and both you and Darren have wrote a video. I know you've been speaking a lot, um, and so I'm going to ask Darren about this first. Give your voice a little bit of a break. Um, that is iNav radar. That is we're starting to see now that a lot of people. Uh, we now have about 4,000 people on the map, and people are starting to find that they have people that live somewhat close by to them that they can go flying with. And um, so I wanted to find out what your experiences have been with INAV radar, and because both of you have made videos of it, and I've been playing with it with uh, someone here, Rich Adams, and out of Long Beach. And we've, um, what was it, what have you found about this? Is this something that's going to continue to develop? Uh, it seems like it might be stalled somehow. So, Darren, go first, please. Uh, well, firstly, I have to say I've not actually flown with it yet because I've not had anyone at my flying club to fly it with. Um, so Mark will probably be the better out of um, the rest of us other than Lee um, to speak about the flying experience. But no, it's, I don't think it's stalled at all. Um, they've just released a 2.2 version, so they are bringing new updates. And there's a lot of things that I've seen in like the INAV, I think, Telegram, and on the um, the GitHub, where there's lots of new ideas that they're trying to put forward into it. So there's there's plenty of development scope left. Um, Can you go over but, really quickly what it's about, so people will know? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, basically, it is a, uh, a like a, a a beacon type system, effectively. So you've got two modules actually. I have one here. <laughs> so you have two of these <laughs> modules. Uh, yeah, so it's all ready to go. I just need you know, someone to test it with. Uh, so Luke, yeah, maybe we could have a, a play with this at some point. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I need to get one working and uh, give it a go. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah, I don't have anyone else to fly with either. And I'm not at the club much, so uh, no. <laughs> well, anyone that flies <laughs> I now have to fly with. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll sort it out and get something. But yeah, this, yeah so definitely. it's basically um, it's a ESP32 board. So they, they, the guys recommend a specific board to use. So it's already got a, an OLED screen on it. It has the LoRa module and you can get them in 868, 915 and 433 megahertz. Um, if you get it, you need to use the same frequency and also the same firmware version. Uh, otherwise, you may not see the other pilots. Certainly, if you use different frequency, you won't see them. But there's, you're best off using the same firmware version as well. And what it will do is, when you have your crosshair, is it will put um, a little arrow going either way up or down to show you where the other planes are. So it just directs you to people, which yeah, it's really handy. You don't have to sort of shout to your buddy, hey, whereabouts are you? I'm by this building, um, that sort of thing. So. Hey, that's a question I have for Luke, and this, Luke would probably have a better answer to this. This is the first time I've seen a microcontroller being used in association with a flight controller. Is um, 
what's the potential for this kind of technology? Can we have microcontrollers that have like large amounts of emissions on there or maybe video editing on there as well? Uh, those types of things. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely uh, now iNav is starting to support some of the Mavlink protocol. Uh, you could have a lot of, uh, Mavlink does position commands. So you could have, say, a companion Raspberry Pi that does all of the heavy uh, lifting in terms of data processing stuff, then tells the plane where to fly automatically on a mission, uh, even based on, you know, image data from a camera, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's quite along the lines of what iNav Radar uses, but yeah. Well, it's just the technology of a microcontroller working. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Then the other question I had for you is, what's the possibility of actually having an app connected from like a smartphone to a transmitter that can actually control your plane or send information such as uh, ABS, whatever the ABSC or whatever that was? Uh, yeah, or ADSB. Yeah, ADS I guess that kind of thing would be possible. Uh, the biggest problem with ADSB is that you're not allowed to transmit it. Uh, I think that would solve a lot of problems if you, you were allowed to transmit it and, you know, identify the lower priority, uh, whatever, compared to an aircraft. Uh, but yeah, yeah, maybe. Hmm, interesting. And Darren, anything else to add to that? No. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so let, let me quickly uh, speak about the uh, flight experience that I had with it. I mean, I only had two chances for, till now uh, to fly it. That was once uh, two years ago with, uh, with Glenn uh, when he visited me from the UK and uh, the last time a few weeks ago with uh, Slash 7 FPV. And yeah, I mean, I, I really like how it works, actually. Um, at the beginning, I made the uh, failure that I use it just on any OSD screen, OSD screen, for example. But you really want to have an OSD that's very clean, only minimal info. So you ha have not much overlapping when the icon of the other pilots is floating around. And um, and the antenna placement is also important. Uh, make sure all antennas are put vertical in the plane, because if you lay them down, then you have big dead zones where you lose connection even at a few hundred meters. But otherwise, if the antennas are placed well, you can see other pilots up to two or three kilometers of distance from you. So this works really well on the on the 868 uh, megahertz band. Um, you can even uh, fine-tune stuff like you can say uh, if you ha if your camera is at an angle like uh, slightly pointing down of course you have to adjust the position of the osd elements to match the rearward position you also can uh, input the viewing angle of your fpv camera horizontally and vertically uh, so the um, hud controller knows where to put the icon where the other plane should be in your video feed and all that stuff and uh, yeah then this is uh, a lot of fun and it's so easy actually to 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 find your mates even if you if you are far away like you fly some long range where it is allowed and um you 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 lose each other like uh due to distortions because you moved your head or whatever, you get distracted, uh, you lose the other body where you fly formation mid, you just look at your OSD, ah, okay, there he is, then you, you make a turn, you throttle up and you catch up and you will you will just find him, uh, the the other plane, that's, that's really easy. Um, about the development process, I think the original project that ended with 1.4 actually really stalled, I think it was another developer who catched up and continued the project now. 
And then there was 1.5, 1.6, and then 1, uh, 2.0, 2.1 uh, is the newest version, I think, uh, no, where they updated the... Or 2.2 now, yeah. Where they updated the protocols uh, to have bigger range, faster reconnection, uh, faster update rates, and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's it's still ongoing. The only thing uh, that's a little bit of a downside since the updates after 1.4 is that the original or the unofficial uh, Flash tool that was also released by another developer where you can just plug it in, one click, you select your uh, your uh, frequency band, you make another click and then it's just flashing the board. This tool is not working anymore, you have to do it manually via uh, a programming tool at the moment. So it's a little bit more complicated, but it still works the same and it still works fantastic. Yeah, I've got the uh, 32-bit, was it 32-bit version of it? So it's the V2 boards, um, and they don't work, and supposedly that's going to be fixed in version 2.3, I believe. Oh, I, I don't know. I've, I've not followed the uh, development that far, <laughs> actually. I just flashed the latest version that was available, so yeah. Yeah, but you've, yeah, I, we've had a great experience with it and loved it. And so that's the last question we have for Lee is, Lee, what's your experience been with the iNav radar? It's something at the moment that I haven't quite yet tested. So at the moment, my answer is it's a really interesting thing, but I haven't tried it yet. Um, I'm still waiting to put because uh, the thing is, again, you know, like the other guys, you have to have somebody that's also willing to put the, the stuff in their plane or model as well in order for you to test it. So that re requires me talking one of my flying buddies into uh, into mangling one of his INAV planes so that we can have a go. Uh, I love the idea. Uh, particularly going back to my point about flying with buddies and doing the um, following stuff, that would be amazing because what we have to do with the flying fields is have a, a shorthand for all of the key points at the field. So you're like, where are you? Where are you? And they go, right, I'm over the left W. And, like, right, and we know what the left W means, but, you know, you have to have this shorthand. Uh, it would be lovely to be able to just, you know, kind of spot where your pal is. <clears throat> and also things like doing review videos, it would be great because at the moment, you know, you have to give your plane that you're reviewing to your mate to fly and then you have to try and fly behind them to get the footage because everyone loves flying footage. Um, you know, it would, it would just simplify stuff if you're not at the local field where you have that shorthand. So no, there'll be a video on it, I'm sure. Um, I just need to, like the other guys, get in a situation where I have a chance to not just give it one go and make a video, but actually give it you know put it through its paces and give it a good go what i want to do it what i want to do what i want to do is uh, i want to launch one plane and send it on a mission and then chase it with another plane they showed a video is awesome i i did uh, i did uh, chase one of my planes with a quad while it was on a mission uh, but not two planes at the same time in the air yet but uh, I think I will do that sometime. Um, there, there's just one thing that annoys me a little bit is the big boards we have to use. Because I, I think these ESP32 boards with the OLED display are absolute overkill. The OSD yeah. display is basically only useful at the beginning if you plug it in the first time just to check if you have a connection. And if it works, it just works, you will see in your OSD that it works. Uh, so in my opinion, we should have a very small ESP32 board with just the 868 or 915 or 433 uh, modem in there. No Wi-Fi, no Bluetooth, it's not needed. And a very, very small one. Uh, because even in the clouds, I have so much space in there, actually, but only in the battery bay. 
the electronics bay is still limited and uh, the lower part of my electronics bay be, uh, below my flight controller um, shelf is completely filled with cables and I have no idea where to put the radar module. <laughs> that that was the other thing that stopped me from doing it uh, because the plane that, that, well, the INAV FPV plane that I fly the most is the Mini AR wing and you just can't fit that in the Mini AR wing. So, yeah. Uh, even, I was looking at my AR900 and even that would have to move stuff about to get it in there. Mm. Uh, maybe fits. Maybe. Oh yeah, I'm sure it'll fit, but it's oh, look at that's this. such a that's the cleanest build I've ever done. I don't really want to disturb it <laughs> until I crash it, and it'll be fine. Well, you gotta say something. <laughs> I was just setting up. So uh, interesting about the whole radio connection stuff. This is you know I talked about the dolphin is just it just has ridiculous amounts of room. Um, most people don't get to see this because it is it's a bit of a pig in here. It's not up to my usual standards, but the radio board i'm trying to get so you can see it. i'm not sure if you can the radio board for the fpv system is that little board there it's the size of two fingernails with a little helical antenna out the back i think it's 433 or something like that um that for the fpv combat system is enough for them to talk to each other so you know who shot you because it's basically laser tag for planes right but using something like that for the radar system i think potentially would be a better bet because you can fit that in almost anything i don't know whether that's one of the issues because i i agree i think that board is complete overkill for what we're using it for at the moment i could build them on the flight controller samsung gal if you're listening we like this um <laughs> yeah it's, uh, someone uh, slash seven fpv in the uh, chat just said uh, i uh, matex should make a uh, a flight control board with Einafreda integrated and I said or oh, at least maybe just bring a dedicated board for that just as an upgrade module that would be great I mean uh, yeah. it, it, we have these big uh, these big ESP32 and it would be awesome already to just have something like a, a serial pass-through integrated so we can at least use it to wirelessly access our, our flight controllers on the ground for example it could be an update for the future but yeah Sounds like we all love it. So that's fantastic. Well, I think that's a great way to end. We found something we love. Um, speaking of something we love, we love Painless 360. This has been Lee. Thank you so much for you know, like sticking with us today. Especially, I know this has been hard for you to talk as much as you have. Um, I know you're not used to speaking as much. You're not really kind of a shy guy and kind of quiet. And and um, but this has been really a fantastic um, opportunity for us to get to know you and find out more about it. And, and, and thank you for sharing the history uh, I have and, and um, telling us what really what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, I've appreciated I've learned so much from your videos. I just personally want to thank you for what you've done for the hobby. I mean, you really have done a lot. Well, thank you so much, Steve. That's very kind. It just, uh, if my videos help one pilot get in the air and have a bigger smile on their face for that time that they spend at the field. You know what, I'm a happy man. So thank you for the feedback, it's great. It's the kind of stuff, that kind of feedback is what kind of keeps me wanting to make videos. Uh, so I, I do really appreciate it, but it's just, this is such a great hobby. You know, it, it, it is only marginally cheaper than those other things I mentioned before, keep it family <laughs> friendly. Uh, but you know, I, I've, I've never had a hobby that stuck with me the way that radio control has. It's not for everybody. Some people try it and go, Meh, I don't see that. But, but there are some people like who play golf or do fishing or those kind of things. And they you know what, I've done all that stuff. And I kind of, you know, I've still got the golf clubs and that in the garage. But if I get 
an opportunity to do something for half a day and the weather's all right it's grab a couple of wings charge the batteries up and go to the field and just put a big stupid grin in your face and if i can drag one of my mates along it's even better thank you for listening to wing talk the webcast is live the third sunday of every month and this podcast follows shortly afterwards check out inavfixedwingroup.com for more details